Hello everyone, and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. An episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves, and joining me, as per usual, for this very special edition of the podcast, my good partner in crime in this wonderful journey through this classic cartoon. Good sir, Mr. Andy Hanley, I've got one thing to start off the conversation with, and quite frankly, it can only be... Bar weep, bar na weep, ninny bong. Yeah, bar weep, grana weep, ninny bong to you too. Oh, I got um, it yeah. wrong, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've got better things to do tonight than die because I've got a podcast to record. <laughs> do you know what? I've been trying so hard to practice that to get that right, and I've just balls up. Well, no, I've done it once now, so forevermore. Yeah, I, I I feel like I feel like this this is proof of like how many times I've seen this film now that I can just do that. Like, I, it's just a thing. It's in my head. Like this, I I, I know the universal greeting off by heart. <laughs> So, we should say from the outset, because it's quite likely that a fair few people listening to this edition of the podcast, you may be a first-time listener, of which, thank you very much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. We do want to make a note from the outset that this episode in particular is going to be probably very different to what we would normally do on the podcast, because normally we're deep diving into each of the episodes in the broadcast order, but obviously, with this being the movie... It's a, well, one, a much longer episode, quite frankly, but also there is a heck of a lot of background information about the film as well, so we are going to be diving into that. If you would like to go back and listen to all of our thoughts regarding Season 1 and 2, you can do that right now, be it on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you have found this podcast, you can tune into each and every episode as well. And if you feel so inclined you want to see us discuss this, you can! Simply head over to YouTube, type in Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you should find us just fine. So, Andy, as I said, this is going to be a different episode, but I am really, really looking forward to discussing this, because we have watched all of Season 1, all of Season 2. We've even gone through, like, the bonus episodes that we recorded as well, going into, like, quizzes and background information that are plenty on those. And we finally reached Transformers the Movie. How are you feeling going into this podcast? Yeah, very excited, and I'm doubly excited because I know we kind of come we come at this from very different angles. Where you have not seen this film in a very long time and got to watch it recently for the first time in forever. I've watched this film far too many times um, and still enjoy it every time that I do. So, two very different perspectives, um, and yeah, like this this film is so important to me like it's such a kind of a, a seismic moment in like my media consumption that you know kids brain me at the time I don't think realize but like I feel like this set the scene and set the tone for so much of what I came to like in terms of being a fan of anime and the kind of shows and films that I liked um and yeah like it's really a, quite a defining moment for me i feel like so it's kind of it's cool to be able to go and, and and talk it through definitely from my perspective this is also a really important film to me but honestly in doing this podcast i finally realized just how much of a seismic shift this film actually is in the entire fandom of transformers which is very weird to say that now in the year 2022 considering i saw this must have been sometime maybe mid to late 90s for the first time. I don't know exactly when I first saw this, but only realising this now, and I'll go into that more as we start discussing the story and stuff during the podcast, but coming to that conclusion now, in March of 2022 when we're recording this, it's pretty mental from my point of view. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because almost for, for me, sort of the, the interesting thing has been watching it off the back of watching seasons one and two, because I feel like, and I, I may have mentioned this in the past, that I think whilst a lot of people were kind of really shocked and blown away by Transformers the movie when it first came out, of like, oh my God, look what they've done. Because my main background as a kid was the UK comics, I was kind of less surprised by it because the UK comics were always a bit more grown up. They were always more willing to kind of kill characters off or put them in deep comas and stasis. I mean, like I've said before, like Optimus Prime, he just kept on dying in the comics. So like <laughs> watching him do it in, in the films was just like, oh, again? Um, so like, I think I was not quite as kind of shaken to my core because I was felt like I was a little bit more used to it. Um, but it's certainly interesting watching it off the back of seasons one and two, and season two in particular, where, you know, it is quite light in tone on a regular basis. And, you know, th there is that very obvious kind of shift and sort of, you know, lack of lack of continuity, really, of just like, you know, we've seen characters get blasted by Megatron's gun all these times and he, and they're fine. And then suddenly you get to the film and one blast and it's like, oh, no, you're just smoke pouring out of your mouth that's not good <laughs> um and so yeah it sort of it, it it struck me a bit harder i think coming off of those two seasons of just like watching it from that opposite view of clearly like the kids who watch the cartoon religiously rather than the comic and seeing like oh man that must have been a real mind trip to go into this like, yay i get to see optimus prime in the big screen oh no he's gone all gray and dead <laughs> um and you know so yeah i that that that's been kind of the fascinating thing for me because obviously I've been aware of that incongruence but I've not seen it quite as markedly like for myself before yeah well you know what you, you've talked a little bit about the background I think that is a very good place to start with the film so let's start talking about the background of Transformers the movie now to begin with from a from a date and time point of view which I think is very important to note the series and that being season two if I'm correct the, the I will call it the newest episode was broadcast in January of 1986, but the film did not make it into the cinema stateside until August of 1986. So we're to assume that during that time, Andy, it's just been reruns of older episodes at this point. So in terms of brand new story material, it's been a, over half a year at this point since anyone has had anything new. Yes, yeah. And I mean, that is kind of your typical, you know, cartoon syndication. You know, it's why season two has so many episodes, as we've sort of previously discussed, because you really want kind of a chunk of 50 episodes plus for TV channels back then to say, great, this is this is something we can just run on a loop. We can just show random episodes. We can drop it in whenever. Um, and so, yeah, you can kind of imagine that there was a good a good long chunk of probably kids turning on like, yeah, it's Transformers. Oh, I've seen this episode uh, over and over again, which I think is, is something every kid can sympathise with because there are always those cartoons of like, oh, this one again? I've seen this a million times now. And there were some that would always, like, recur more than others as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. So, development of the movie began during the first season of Transformers broadcast in 1984. The first draft was submitted around mid-November 1984, with a later revised draft by mid-February 85. Though I think it's worth noting the final draft, quote-unquote, or a finalised draft, as it were, was not actually probably completed until about December of 85. Ron Friedman is credited as being the only person who worked on two finished versions of the script that were written. More on that note in a moment. 
But for some context, Ron Friedman had worked in television for decades prior to this film, and as a notable credit in the context of Hasbro and Transformers, he wrote the original five-part mini-story for G.I. Joe, the, the cartoon that is, called The Mass Device. And additionally, at the same time as working on Transformers the movie, he was also working on G.I. Joe the movie, as both films were in production at roughly the same time. It's important to note this, because it's been noted by various people that there were so many hierarchical levels within Hasbro working down through the likes of Sumbo Productions and Marvel... The initial screenplay, according to Flint Dilly, who was a story consultant on the film, and if you've seen a number of Transformers documentaries, he's normally the one that's speaking in them, because he's the most accessible at this point, I assume. He said that that, that script was that the original script was a collection of beats and ideas that everyone wanted included, as in that the hierarchy wanted included, but it was an incohesive mess at times, some might say. But then what Dilly and Jay Bacall, who I believe was a producer on the film, did, was they reworked that version of the script to make it shootable, if you will, as in so it could actually be turned into a film. Now, what was the original story, you may be wondering? Now, Andy, I'm not sure if you're aware, but apparently the story was going to be known as The Secrets of Cybertron. And this, this story would see Optimus Prime travel to the heart of Cybertron to learn the origins of the Transformers themselves, discovering that Cybertron itself was a Transformer through the Matrix of Leadership, and because of the Matrix would actually activate the planet Transformer, if you will. This culminating in a battle, basically seeing the inhabitants of Cybertron versus a planet-sized Transformer, that being Unicron. Were yeah, you aware of that? And yeah, and I and I think I, I've sort of talked about this a little bit. I think it's on this podcast, and not just some random conversation we had. I can never remember these <laughs> days. Um, but like that's sort of something that the the actual the UK comics leaned into in the end instead, uh, where they basically created the idea of Primus versus Unicron, um, and kind of Primus being like the, the god and Unicron being the Satan, effectively of the Transformers world. And it, it never quite, you know went in that direction, but it had its own origin story around how Unicron became a planet uh, or a planet-sized Transformer and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I was kind of dimly aware that it had, you know, it, it had, like, its own background from that. But, uh, but yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at that as a concept because that's both quite interesting but also maybe not as good a movie as we get instead. So... Despite Flint Dilly and Joe Bacall, the producer that I just mentioned, being happy with the script that they had come up with, the higher-ups and the hierarchy that I mentioned said it wasn't what they asked for. Now, it's worth noting at this point that that reworked script, The Secrets of Cybertron, that we've just been talking about, Andy, that script would surface in the series, but only elements of it would. The entire script has never actually surfaced online, there's no actual known reason. It may just be due to how long it's been. Probably likely a bunch of NDAs and it's probably locked inside a vault somewhere in Marvel HQ or something, quite frankly. But this Dilly Bacall reworked script is seemingly unrelated to the final second draft turned in by Ron Friedman in late April of 1985. So basically that reworked script is not this movie at all, quite frankly. Mm, yeah yeah that that is that is kind of interesting and, and i mean again in terms of like the the revisions and the reworks that this had i 
again, I think I mentioned before, like I need to go back and revisit it because there is like um, a, a comic, a UK, it was maybe actually from the US side, like a comic edition of Transformers, a movie that I believe has some subtle changes to the from the film because they were still working from like an earlier an earlier draft than even the final one there. So um, I don't know if you can hear an ice cream van in the background. <laughs> I was but... about to say, what the heck? We're leaving this yes. in the edit, by the way. I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, you did say that I deserved some ice cream earlier on. So... Yeah, fair. Very, very true. And you know <laughs> what? You ice cream for all, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this now, in fact, actually, just to answer your question, uh, that comic you mentioned, that is actually true as well, because that came up in a lot of my research, that they were working effectively from an earlier script or an earlier version of the film story. So there are... So this is so weird hearing an ice cream van in the background, but I'm just going to roll with it. But, but that story would be what makes it in the comic. But like you say, there are some, some subtle or perhaps interesting differences, which I'm not sure what they are because I've never read it myself. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have read it and I need to reread it because I'm, I'm super curious. Because it's one of those things, like, I don't remember anything really massively standing out of, like, oh, that wasn't in the film particularly. I do remember it being a bit different, but not in any kind of fundamentally, like, massive way. So, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe at some point I will sit down and reread that. I feel like it's in one of the UK classics compilations that is on Comixology or Comixology R.I.P. now Amazon. <laughs> So, what did the higher-ups actually want? What did this hierarchy that I mentioned want from the film? Simply put, they wanted a story to turn over to a new roster of characters to re-energise sales in the toy line. Because by the time the movie was going to be released, it would have been two years into the franchise, so things needed to be shaken up to keep the machine churning along, if you will. Now, now the thing to remember at this point in time, when it comes to the cartoon business, if you will. To, to say this from a very blunt, harsh business perspective, the cartoons were simply toys for the adverts. Much as yourself and I, Andy, and perhaps everyone else listening to this, or any other Transformers fan, quite frankly, has become really attached to characters, and we like certain characters more than others. We feel we have a unique connection with some of them. As far as the higher-ups were concerned, are they shifting toys? Nope. Cut them, quite frankly. That's basically what it was like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, again, it worked, right? You know, we've talked through <laughs> the seasons one and two of this podcast. I mean, you've heard me wax lyrical about the Insecticons and how, you know, I got a shrapnel off the back of that. You know, we've had all the special team stuff where it's like, yeah, had all those guys because, you know, and, and I mean, actually, that was, again, more on the comics and the, uh, the, 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 the cartoon, but it was the same rule applies of, you know, like, hey, we've got these big new robots coming out work these into your stories make them a big deal make them super powerful and important um and yeah of course that was stuff works on kids like you know it's it, it's kind of you know crazy when you look back on it and realize all this fondness you have for things is just somebody trying to sell you stuff but hey <laughs> the world hasn't changed very much in that sense i know right i remember a story you told on a previous podcast where you literally were in a shop you saw an insecticon and you were saying to your parents look I need this Insecticon. He can do this and this as his ability. He's really good. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And there were certainly, yeah, there, there, there were plenty, you know, a lot of the Transformers I ended up with, again, even off the back of this movie, was just like, oh, they were cool in the film. So, you know, I want this one. So ultimately, the higher-ups got what they wanted in the second draft script by Ron Friedman, who, now, to be fair, 
and we need to give him some credit here as well, he had to work within the very strict parameters that he had been set by the higher-ups. So, whether you ultimately like the story or not, he was basically given guidelines he had to follow. Now, I mentioned those guidelines, all of this being, despite people who were working closely on the show, such as writers, directors, and creatives, all expressing their thoughts on the relationships that we've just been talking about, Andy, that the audience would have had with the characters. Now, to add further to this, Ron Friedman himself did protest killing off Optimus Prime specifically. To quote the man himself, in an interview in December 2013 on toddmaffy.com, he said the following, quote, To remove Optimus Prime, to physically remove Daddy from the family, that wasn't going to work. I told Hasbro and their lieutenants they would have to bring him back, but they said no and had great things planned. In other words, they were going to create new, more expensive toys. They didn't recognise that Optimus Prime was the heartbeat of the Autobots. The strong fatherly presence that made sure everybody else behaves and tries to live up to his example. You cannot pass that over and have any hope of duplicating the success you had. End quote. Mm. Yeah, and, and it is really interesting because I think, you know, as much as like the death of Optimus Prime is an iconic thing in that film that is sort of... I think in the longer term has made it like an enduring part of people's kind of memories and it's one of the reasons why people are so sort of fascinated by the film. I think from a point of view of what Hasbro wanted, it was absolutely a failure. Like, I didn't really care about Ultra Magnus. I didn't... I I, I had a Hot Rod toy, but I didn't care about Rodimus Prime as a leader. Um, and, you know... And of course, then they just brought back a new improved Optimus Prime in the end, which I think kind of speaks volumes. You know, they never brought back Megatron. You know, he was done and dusted as far as G1 goes because, yeah, I had the Galvatron toy. He was pretty cool. He made pew pew laser sounds and had a light up <laughs> barrel, um, which, you know, also probably swayed my like six year old purchasing decision. That was a Christmas present. That was great. I think my God, I think my parents got a headache that Christmas because just running around making pew pew sounds with my galvatron but anyway i, I digress um but yeah like, imagine you know, them trying to buy you the galvatron they're like what the heck's a galvatron <laughs> yeah I, I mean i mean credit like you know credit where it is due to, to my mum. like you know she came and saw transformers a movie with me and i i've never asked her what that experience was like i should have asked her before this podcast like what what was that like as your first experience of actually watching any transformers did you even pay attention um <laughs> but yeah because you know she, she she had to be on the ball of like okay well this is the toy that that, that andrew wants um so like you know duly noted uh but yeah like you know the the, the the replacement Autobot leaders were never really of any interest to me. And I think it's almost a weird thing where like I feel like they painted themselves into the corner by making Optimus Prime so awesome. Because like he is again, it's why that character has endured through, you know, into the Michael Bay movies and has become like a sort of the stuff of legend and like Peter Cullen likewise, because it was just this perfect confluence of the perfect character, this really great character design, perfect voice, like everything about it was just like exactly what you want like a sort of leader of the good guys to be. And you can't just really replicate that. And I mean, you know, Ultra Magnus felt like a boring kind of knockoff of Optimus Prime, which is now sort of almost almost this kind of spoof in like, you know, the modern comics where 
you know, Ultra Magnus is just, nobody pays attention to him because he's just incredibly boring. And everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, he's just, he's just a pen pusher, really. He just does all the paperwork. And like, I, I remember a couple of the, the, the Dreamwave comics I've read where he's just like the really finickety, like, you know, don't litter in the corridors guy, basically. You know, not not this kind of big imposing leader, but just the really, you know, it's like, oh, Ultra Magnus has a problem. What do you want, Ultra Magnus? What what have we done wrong? Did we leave the toilet seat up? That kind of thing, which is just so different from Optimus Prime. And then Rodimus Prime, they did interesting things with him, and I think we'll see in the cartoon in season three and in the comics. But it was never, in a weird way, it was almost he was almost more like the punk rock Optimus Prime in that he wasn't just like natural born leader, which I think is interesting to me as a grown up, but less so as a kid. And so it was just like, yeah, he has a pretty cool truck mode, I guess. But he also looks a bit like a camper van. So uh, <laughs> I think, you know, I think I'm still more of an Optimus Prime guy. It, it, not to sort of delve into the movie story yet, specifically as it were in our thoughts on it. But just to echo what you were saying about Ultra Magnus, from my point of view, I vividly remember when I first saw the film... Ultra Magnus's first line in the film, I think it's after Blur says something for the first time as well, and you've got Blur who's really hyperactive, talking really, really fast, which I can't replicate, and then he's asking, what do you want me to do? And Ultra Magnus says, in the slowest way possible, Blur, go and do this. And it was just that thing of, oh man, like, the heck? You're a leader? That was kind of my yeah. first thought, honestly. Yeah, yeah, he is just like Pound Shop Optimus Prime. I mean, ironically, <laughs> even, even ironically, I mean, even his toy, like, the, I, I don't know if you ever saw, like, the Ultra Magnus toy, but, like, basically, like, the main bit of it is literally a white version of Optimus Prime that you can transform and, like, slot into a bigger figure that becomes Ultra Magnus. So even that, like, as a kid, you looked at it, it's like, well, that's just, that's just like an Optimus Prime that you slap into another thing. I'm like, that's not very interesting either. <laughs> So, after following on from that Ron Friedman quote, just to add to this, because he knew, that with what he was saying and what we've just been talking about, that the audience, primarily kids, let's call it like it is, weren't used to seeing death in the show. So when it comes to removing Optimus Prime, killing him off, this was going to be such a big culture shock to them, quite frankly. And because of how the multitude of characters have been developed, like we've just been talking about and like we've established ourselves, having been re-watching them throughout this podcast run, it's just going to be such a, such a weird feeling of response from the audience in the cinema. And also, makes you wonder as well if maybe he kind of thought inside, I don't want to be a parent taking their kid to this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly... I, I've been trying to kind of, like, piece together my memories. The, the weird thing is, like, there, there are, are movies that I saw as a kid where I can remember all of my emotional responses to it. Um, and, like, I, I was thinking literally before coming on this, like, the, the one I remember most, like, emotionally is Flight of the Navigator. Like, I can remember the hype I had of that. I remember I was pretty fucking hyperactive after that film <laughs> when I got out of the cinema again probably a bit of a nightmare to like for my parents because that was that film was amazing to me Transformers the movie weirdly I can't remember whether I cried when Optimus Prime died I think I did but I can't actually recall it and I feel like that film maybe it was because it was so important to me like and again this is sort of you know this is an era before you know, you had, like, streaming and you had, like, oh, this will be on, like, Netflix in a couple of weeks. This was, like, 
you might never get to see this again. And I mean, obviously it came out on VHS and stuff, but it's like, this might be the only time you ever see this thing. And so I think like my brain more just like absorbed the film in its entirety and then kind of like processed it later rather than actually like watching it and being in the moment. Because I, I, I could like relive that film in my head even as a kid, like at the drop of a hat, even when I'd only seen it like maybe twice after I'd seen it on VHS. Um, but I can't remember like emotionally how I took to it. I'm pretty sure I shed a tear over Optimus Prime dying, but I feel like that is more like a, uh, because of the staging of that scene than the actual events, to be honest, which, you know, we can we can get into. <laughs> now, knowing this being Ron Friedman I'm referring to, knowing what he was working with and based on the quote that I read a few moments ago, and the likely reaction from fans, this is how the concept of Prime's essence, ideologies, and value and values, excuse me, would be transcended within the matrix of leadership to the next leader, which ultimately would be chosen by the matrix itself. So at least he had the wherewithal to figure out a way of going, how the hell do I effectively tell people Prime's still here? If you really think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and again, I think. I think this was specific to the UK version um, because obviously the UK version didn't come out until December. Like we, um, I mean, again, you know, unbeknownst as kids, like you didn't, it, before the internet, you didn't realise other kids were getting to watch this film before you. Otherwise, you know, there would have been riots. Um, but, you know, it came out in December and I believe they, they recorded additional voiceover from Deep Voice Guy. They did. Because I, uh, I have a note about that so I can actually yeah, read it which, to its entirety. So. Which very specifically says Optimus prime will return which was clearly like a response to that whole reaction to be like uh oh we better we better say like hey kids don't throw your optimus prime toys away like can you dry your eyes before you leave the cinema please <laughs> so before we get into the film's story itself let's delve into a couple of other bits and bobs to begin with the voice cast while the original voice cast did return, because of what happened in the story, which, as said, we'll get into in a few moments, there are new recurring actors who make their debut in the film as well. But because this was a movie and it's a big deal, and quite frankly, Hasbro probably wants to make a hell of a lot of money on this film, they drafted in some big names specifically into this project, the film. There was Judd Nelson. There was Eric Idle, Leonard Nimoy, Robert Stack, Lionel Stander and Orson Welles. Now, Orson Welles we'll get into in a few moments, because that in itself is actually a, a fairly, just very, very notable role he played, because it was the last role he ever played. So we'll touch on that in a few moments. The score of the film was composed by Vince DeCola, who I didn't realise this, Andy, because I've never actually looked into it, but I didn't realise the film that he had come off, which got him the job to do this, was Rocky IV. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, also a really good Vince DiCola soundtrack, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm a big Vince DiCola booster here, and that's the only thing. The only thing I know, I have not watched Rocky IV, but I know it has a good soundtrack. <laughs> and he had to make the soundtrack mostly using storyboards. And according to the retrospective documentary that's on the 4K Blu ray that came out last year at the time of recording this, he really goes into like the process of how much fun he had making this soundtrack and it's really really cool just to see how much he enjoyed the process he, he talked about working with someone and having pretty much every synthesizer known to man in his studio <laughs> just specifically for the film but he enjoyed the process because of how much freedom he had to create it but also interestingly as well he said that 
well, he inferred more to the point that he had to make the soundtrack, but because it was just by storyboards, he wasn't working to footage. So ultimately, the editors of the film had to kind of chop bits of his soundtrack to make it fit. Which in itself, when you're just making a piece of music, and he's actually said they did it incredibly well, it's it's a feat that this really came off as well as it did. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it's incredible from both levels, because both in terms of editing and in terms of the composition, like that soundtrack like fits like a glove to that entire movie um and i mean ironically talking about being able to replay the film in my head one of the reasons i was able to do that is while i'm pretty sure i rented the vhs of transformers the movie my main touch point after seeing it in cinemas was the soundtrack on cassette um, I can't remember whether I managed to get it like immediately after the film came out, or whether it was like a few months. But uh, like, yeah, the soundtrack came out on cassette and vinyl. My dad wouldn't let me own it on vinyl because he didn't want his deck messed up, which is fair. <laughs> it would probably have ended up with strawberry jam on the needle. He was probably right. Like, I, I, as a as a forty something man, I still worry about messing up my vinyl player, so it's fair. Um, so I ended up with it on cassette, and literally, pretty much every weekend, I would usually wake up before my parents. I would go down slap some headphones on and listen to the Transformers the movie soundtrack and I would relive the film through that soundtrack um, and just enjoy that soundtrack because I still think it's phenomenal and one of the greatest soundtracks of all time Um, and I think that's kind of there aren't many films that I could point to where I could be like hey listen to this soundtrack and you're basically hearing the film but that's the case here and it's kind of incredible. The soundtrack itself featured songs by Stan Bush, notably The Touch and Dare. Weird Al Yankovic did a song on it, which was Dare to be Stupid. There, of course, is Lion's epic version of the Transformers opening, and that's the only way to describe it, epic. And uh, there was also a band, Andy. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there is a band called Spectre General that contributed a few songs to this. Are you aware that's not actually their band name? Yeah, they had to change it, I believe, because uh, they, they they didn't they didn't want the kids to know what their the the real band were all about. It was recall. they were called Kick Axe A X E. Yeah, <laughs> which is ironic. I mean, given you know the the you know Transformers had no trouble using phrases like deceptive bum and other kind of you know booby. Al- al- <laughs> yeah, and other alliterations to stuff like. In fact, I'm sure they even like explicitly referenced kicking ass or something very mm. close to it in the cartoon, <laughs> and yet somehow that was their tipping point of like, oh no, gotta gotta change your name. But uh, but hey ho. Now, did you know that their name was changed on the soundtrack without their permission? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I mean, and it's because yeah, like that was my first question when I first heard about that. It's like, well, why would they? Because the whole point of getting on a film soundtrack like that is you want your name to get out there. So once your name's been changed, then what's even the point? Um, and then, yeah, the, the, the other shoe dropped and like, oh, nobody actually asked them. They just did it. <laughs> now, a final note before we get on to the actual film itself, Andy. Did you know that the song The Touch was originally offered for Sylvester Stallone's film Cobra? Before it was put placed in Transformers, I didn't know it was for that film specifically. I did know it had been like offered up somewhere, somewhere else, which kind of makes sense. I think when you sort of really listen to it, it's like it works for Transformers, but it's very much it does almost feel a little bit like it was perhaps penned for another film. Mm. So from there, everyone, 
let's get on to the movie itself. Now, the way we're going to do this is... Uh, credit to the TF Wiki on this, I will say up front. We're basically going to sort of use their synopsis to help carry us through. And then we're going to add our thoughts as we go along on bits and bobs of what we see. Because it's probably the most concise way of doing it. Otherwise, we will be here all day, quite frankly. <laughs> now, the first thing I want to note, Andy, is... Uh, I mean, just quite frankly, just the... Uh, so. Get my thoughts together here. I mentioned that I have watched this very recently, obviously in preparation for the film. I got a chance to check out the 4K UHD Blu-ray for the first time. And oh my god, does this film look incredible in 4K UHD. Yeah, yeah, it really does. I, I mean, it was the thing that I was sort of excited about when they brought out the the final Blu-ray edition, like the 30th anniversary version, because my first thought is, especially when I watched some of the extras, like, oh, we've rescanned it in 4K. It's like, oh, have you? Then <laughs> I, you, know, you could see where that was going. And the, my first thought watching that 4K scan on Blu-ray was, if they just add HDR to this, it's going to look amazing. And it does. Like, it's a shame there are a few scenes and a few shots where you can see, like, you know, the cell quality and the, the film quality is not is, is not good enough to look really good in 4K and those moments stand out. But generally speaking, you know, it's an incredibly crisp transfer. The because of the way this film uses its kind of like lighting and, you know, again, good old fashioned cell animation and the cool kind of tricks and techniques you can use to have interesting lighting effects all look amazing when you add like an HDR grading to it. Um, and so, yeah, like this is the definitive way to watch the film. I'm sure there'll be an 8K version at some point. <laughs> we'll probably get like a, a, a Dolby Vision version next up for the 40th anniversary, maybe. Um, but yeah, this is this is like everything you could ask for really like i i kind of wish that they'd had the extra time and budget to clean up some of those slightly rougher shots but they're pretty few and far between and most of the film is just jaw-droppingly beautiful yeah and the, the opening scene which i'm going to get onto now i think is a perfect encapsulation of how damn beautiful this film looks yeah yeah and that's i mean that's the thing like even for kind of like kids me like in you know december 86 watching this in the cinema you know i as i mentioned there's a lot of the transformers cutting i hadn't watched but you know i'd seen a decent amount of it i knew what the transformers looked like i knew what that cartoon looked like and i just remember being blown away by that those opening shots of just like the detail like as unic as you know unicron kind of whooshes past the camera and it kind of like you know you get that close-up of all the like panels of his body and all the kind of intricate like metal work and detailing there and then you kind of you know get to see his innards which is a weird thing to say on a podcast um but <laughs> like, megatron's get, innards you know <laughs> I, there's a lot of innards in this in this film um and, and you know you get you get all of that stuff and yeah then you get that shot you know at the end of his sort of you know initial bit of planet devouring where all the lights around kind of like you know the the orbit of him all light up and you get that cool little effect and <laughs> like all of that just looks so uh, so amazing and i remember as a kid that that was the kind of like transformers can look like this 
what and again of course like not understanding you know how the animation industry works at the time I was like i was almost a bit annoyed of like well why doesn't it always look like this mm. why only why you know why does it not always look this amazing and that was my thing throughout the film of like look at all the detail on these characters look at all the lighting effects why why does normal cartoon transformers look a bit flat compared to this yeah, I think it's on the commentary track, which I didn't get a chance to watch all of, admittedly, before we recorded this. But I have watched the film twice before this, uh, both like the 4K version and then just like the regular full frame version. But I think it's Nelson Shin, who I think was one of the directors of the film. He points out like the different kind of shading that's used throughout this film compared to the regular series. And that just adds so much additional detail in and of itself. But then you add in the ridiculous animation quality from Toei Animation on this film. And it th- this is just a masterpiece of animation, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's one of the things I'm, I'm glad that people are kind of coming back to this film like all these years later and sort of rewriting the record a bit. Because there was definitely a period in time where this film got written off as just like, oh, it's just a bunch of trashy animation. You know, it was just a cheap, you know, cartoon toy shoveling affair you know, and writing it off in every extent, and I've always been one of the people that would stand up and argue and be like, no, this film looks really good. This is a very well animated film. And it's like, you know, even I feel like compared to the G.I. Joe movie, which has an incredible opening scene. Which oh, it's, it's probably, ridiculous. Which, like, that that best anything that Transformers the movie can do. I will I will give it that. But I think the rest of that film is kind of like, yeah, that's alright. It, it looks fine. But, like, Transformers the movie, over the course of its runtime, like, has so many many fantastic bits of animation that you know we will get through as we go that it is it is a very well animated piece and like it's it's really interesting because it could have been a very cheap knockoff we'll just make it look exactly like the cartoon and we'll just knock it out but whether it was because they felt like it was going to be a big thing whether it was just a labor of love on behalf of the the animation staff I don't know but either way, it is a terrific looking film. And, and it stands up even now to me that it looks really good for the most part. The film begins with a giant mechanical looking planet travelling through the depths of space, attacking a metal planet which has robotic inhabitants. Robots, vehicles, buildings and even large chunks of rock are sucked off the surface and devoured by this monstrous planet. This entire opening sequence, Andy... You could just use this as a trailer for the film. And you could just almost show it as like a teaser. Like, imagine seeing that in the cinema before you're watching something else. And you're like, what the hell was that? I like, I need to know. That in itself is just an incredible opening sequence. Yeah, it's such, it's such a fascinating kind of like opening. Because, I mean, for starters, obviously... I mean, I guess from like some of the promotional material, you, you know, as a kid, you maybe knew a little bit about Unicron as a thing. But like, you know, you're introduced to this big metallic planet that you know nothing about. You know, you're introduced to this other world, which you know nothing about, which again, talk about setting the, the dark tone of this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we get to see kids running around playing moments before they are just, you know, devoured and killed. And it's just like... And that's the kind of thing I guess that passes you by as a kid, but as a grown up, you're just like, oh my god, they're just they're really laying this on thick of just like all of this is about to go horribly wrong. Yeah, um, it just it, it's the spectacle of it as well, which kind of almost catches you off guard because you know you're about to watch the film, but this is just such a ridiculous thing you're watching. But the spectacle is incredible, and it's only after you suddenly think, wait, 
A crap load of... Well, I say a crap load of people. An entire planet just got devoured. I saw literal blood flying around inside of something. What the heck just happened? Yeah, yeah. And, and again, I mean, you know, talking about the soundtrack, like, you know, Unicron's theme is a really good sort of ominous sort of rumbling below all of that is a really good introduction to that character and what what you're getting into here that's just like oh my god there's some there's some serious business there's there, there's stuff at stake here um and yeah and and weirdly you know you think about it after that opening scene no unicron for quite a while in this film like it sort of gets forgotten and backgrounded until suddenly it's like oh yeah the big planet that eats things exactly because after we get the opening credits it this effectively becomes what i'm going to call the conclusion of the pre-movie timeline for about the next half an hour. We effectively get the b- the biggest budget epi- regular episode of Transformers ever at this point. Mm-hmm. This is what yeah. we get. Yeah. And, and I mean, again, I think ultimately, like, they did cut this down for TV into, like, four episodes, if I recall. Mm. Um, and there, there there is at least sort of one point where it sort of, it fades out in a way that is just, like, almost end of part one. Um, and then it sort of, you know, resumes again. Mm. Um, but yeah, like, it suddenly it's just, like, back, back to your regularly scheduled programming of Autobots versus Decepticons. Now, one of the big parts about the film is the fact that we were in the year 1986, but come the film, we fast-forwarded in time, and we're... We're now in the year 2005, and not counting the UK version of the opening, which we'll get on to once we've got through the entire film, Andy, because I think it's worth bringing it up at that point, but the narrator says the following. It is the year 2005. The treacherous Decepticons have conquered the Autobots' home planet of Cybertron. But from secret staging grounds on two of Cybertron's moons, valiant Autobots prepare to retake their homeland. You're seeing visuals of Cybertron and whatnot, and that really just lays the groundwork for, oh man, a lot has happened, what was it at this point, 19 years later in the story? If I've done my maths yeah. right quickly. But, yeah. but you know what doesn't change after 19 years, Andy? When we see Laserbeak flying through the sky, just getting inside Autobot HQ on the moon, yeah. and just yeah. looking at stuff. Nothing changes after 19 years. Yep, yep, Laserbeak still, still doing the business. But yeah, again, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, even that... That was kind of a crazy moment where it just casually introduces, like, oh, by the way, Decepticons have won, basically. It's mm-hmm. just like, they've taken over Cybertron, like, Autobots on the on the back foot, just kind of hiding out on the moons. And, uh, yeah, I remember as a kid, it was, it was like a bit of a one-two punch of, like, one, it's the year 2005, and you're just like, whoa, 2005, that's never going to happen. Like, I'm not... Am I even going to be around in 2005? That's so far away. <laughs> and it's like, here we are, like 2020 something. Um, and so, you know, you have that and you, your, your child brain is just getting over that. And it's like, oh, by the way, the Decepticons have taken over Cybertron. I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. You know, <laughs> strap yourself in. Um, and so, again, just as a start, even just as a bit of narration, that's just mind-blowing of just like, okay, very different from the Transformers that I'm used to. So as mentioned, the Decepticons are now in control of Cybertron. The Autobots are preparing to launch an assault to retake the planet from the hidden bases of Cybertron's two moons. Which, first time we've ever seen them, Andy. I didn't think anything of it, but there was a part of... Were there moons on Cy- like by Cybertron? <laughs> Were there in the, in the series? I'm pretty sure there weren't, but I digress. The Autobots launch a shuttle to pick up the final shipment of Energon from Earth before they are going to strike. 
Now, I mentioned Laserbeak. Plans for the attack are overheard by Little Laserbeak, who reports back to Megatron. The Decepticons then attack the shuttle en route to Earth. And this is where the tone of the movie is firmly established. Because they don't just barge in and, like, you know, take over the ship and maybe throw people in the brig. No, they flat out murder people. Megatron turns into his gun, and I think it's Starscream just literally shoots... Ironhide, Prowl, Ratchet, and Brawn. The latter three in particular being offed in one shot. Ironhide is kind of the one Autobot left who kind of grabs Megatron's foot and is like, you won't win! And then I think Megatron... Did I write down his exact quote? His, um, yeah, his his um, his retort is just such heroic nonsense and just blasts him like, to, to his clear death at his feet, which again, like, yeah, as a kid, that was... That, that I think that was actually the moment that really set it into my brain of like, this film is going hard. Yeah. Like, because it's just like, okay, that looked pretty bad for those characters, you know, that, that didn't look pleasant. But that moment where you have sort of like, kind of almost dying gasped already Ironhide being like, you know, trying his final valiant attempt to stop him and Megatron not even flinching, just like firing his laser down at his, his fusion cannon down at his feet was just like, oh no. Um, and, and again, I mean, interesting for this scene is uh, Vince DiCola like wrote a track for this scene himself, but this was one that ended up being like one of the Spectre General songs. Um, and I think it's actually, it's the one place where actually it works better than the Vince DiCola track to, to have that there because it's kind of, it's quite a, it's quite a punchy accompaniment to everything going on. Instruments of Destruction. There you go. I do want to give a shout out to Megatron because on the scene earlier where Laserbeak returned to Megatron to report what, you know, they'd seen, Megatron's line of, Welcome, Laserbeak. Unlike some of my other warriors, you never fail me. And then it cuts to Starscream. <laughs> just... Yeah, who, who, has a, who has a really good surprise face of just like, What, me? <laughs> just such a wonderful moment. So, at this point, and I'm going to do my best to see if I can somehow keep this up, Andy. The fatality list has four people on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> has yep. four Autobots on it. Now, at this point... We're now going to Earth. The Decepticons are able to get very close to the base because of the shuttle. And we discover they are heading to Autobot City, which we've never seen before. And it's just, it's giant. But before this, we get to see two new characters. That being Daniel, who turns out is the son of Spike. And we see Hot Rod, and they're fishing. And this is... I really, really liked this introduction to these two. It kind of established that they're friends and whatnot. It also made, I think, Hot Rod almost unlikable from the get-go. Because when he's suddenly catching a fish and he's like, Oh, look, it's a fish! Whoa! Kind of thing. I'm just like, oh, mate. Like, no, this is not... Whoever you are, I don't know what you're doing. But no. But then they start heading up to the mountain because they, they get a signal saying the shuttle is coming. And that's when Dare starts. The soundtrack and they just start driving through they barge past cup i think it was building a roadblock it's a wonderful introduction to cup as a character as well i love this scene so much just when the music is going it's perfect but then from there they notice that there is a hole in the side of the ship well more to the point daniel notices and he hasn't even got binoculars on quite frankly it's like damn son you got some good eyesight there <laughs> in the year 2005 
And then this is when the battle begins. Gonna, gonna pause there for a second, Andy, because I want to give you a chance to talk about this scene before we get to carnage and mayhem and whatnot. What do you think of this opening introduction to these three characters? Yeah, well, well, first of all, can we reach a concord that Dare is actually a better song than The Touch? So, do you know what? I was going to bring this up later. I have always been a guy who is like, The Touch it reigns supreme. But in watching the film this time, I have gained a whole new appreciation for Dare. And I do think it is a superior song. I still love The Touch to bits. That will never change. Yeah. But there is just a thing about Dare where it, it's got... It just... Just amps you up so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, they, they are both great songs, but Dare has always been like my my go to there. And yeah, like the, the way it launches into that song, and yeah, like you know, getting uh, Hot Rod it, somehow like seeing his car mode is always just like ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Like that's why I ended up with like the Hot Rod toy. He was one of those very much more like oh, I just want him for the car mode because it's pretty cool. Um, and you get hoverboards because it's 2005, and as we know, hoverboards were you know ev- all the kids had them by 2005. What um, year was Back to the Future set, or was that 2015? I can't remember. That no, that was like 2000. And- Oh, maybe it was 2016 or something. I, I can't remember. Maybe. But either way, there were hoverboards according to Back to the Future by that point. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, this this is really good. I mean, all of this stuff kind of, you know, prior to sort of space shenanigans is all like a really good introduction to Hot Rod's character. Because um, you kind of... He is kind of a bit of a jerk through a lot of the the early going here. Like, you know, even him, like, tearing past Cup, it's like, come on, man, he's on your side. And, like, you know, you almost brained him just because you were in a hurry to go somewhere. And he has lots of very kind of, like, arrogant or sort of impetuous one-liners, which obviously, you know, leads into some events later on. Um, But, yeah, this is... This is this is cool. Uh, th- this is a good intro, and yeah, like I, I the the whole like there's a hole in the shuttle thing. I don't know it, it's one of those scenes that is just really cool to me. Like especially, especially because you know Hot Hot Rod has his like you know optical zoom that he looks at. And he's just like, oh, you're right, and just starts firing. Which <laughs> again, really well animated shot of just like you know a couple of shots like bounce off the hull, like knock Star Scream over on his backside, which is really good. And then you know you've got Cut being like, what the hell is he doing? And then suddenly it's like, oh, oh, we have a problem. And like that whole thing is a really good lead into you know what is about to go down. So at this point, we get the surprise attack. We get a who's who of Decepticon and Autobots just basically starting to have an all-out war. This is when you realise, Andy, crap, man, this is it. Like, whatever is going to happen, this is the freaking battle now. This is... We've got we've got 19 years later. This is the deciding battle. I also want to give a shout-out immediately to Cup single-handedly taking out both Blitzwing and Shrapnel. <laughs> Yeah, that that again. So many little moments that I found so incredibly cool as a kid, and still do now. And like the, and again, the the animation really carries it. Where like Cup like drives over to where Blitzwing is, kind of swings around on his turret, like you know, and then just pulls his turret up so that he misses Hot Rod. And it's like that's just so cool. Did you see the thing he just did? That was so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are so many moments like in this kind of in and around this battle in particular, which again is just like perfect, like music versus what's going on on screen but it has so many really awesome little moments like that and then yeah like the fact that you know blitzwing and shrapnel i mean the, the sh- i assume there are clones involved here because the shrapnels have a pretty bad day in this one it's gotta be said 
the other thing as well, which I think is a, it's a very interesting note, and it goes back to like the tonal shift that we were mentioning earlier. You hear the word die or inferring of being killed a heck of a lot. Like there's outright like let the slaughter begin, I think is a line mm -hmm. from someone. Like just die Autobots. And that tonal shift again, this is really being established in here. And that's why I do remember the first time I watched it, I was like, oh man, like this is the final battle. Even though I probably yeah. knew there was a season three, it's like, oh man, like this is happening. It's all going yeah, down. And, and, and again, th this is one of the things that, yeah, has really struck me. It really struck me this viewing coming off the back of seasons one and two, where you, you notice that almost quite subtle in places change of language mm -hmm. because again you know if you look in the comics you'll see words like die and exterminate from like the decepticons quite a lot but in the cartoon you're right it never really veers that far i think it maybe does like once or twice but it certainly yeah suddenly you're talking about slaughter and you know use, using all the the big violent words and yeah like it's very much setting its tone right there it's also during this battle that we are first introduced to R.C. and Springer as well, who will become pivotal characters in this story as well. I also just want to just touch on a few various things before we get to the inevitable big climactic battle here, Andy. First of all, when Blaster's in, like, the control tower and, like, Perceptor goes to find him to say, can you get a message to Prime to come and help us? <laughs> Blaster's line of dialogue is, hey, Perceptor, what's shaking other than this fortress? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, and it, I mean, I think one of the, the things, yeah, that, that I loved about this film, which I'll be saying a lot if you haven't noticed already <laughs> during this podcast, is like there is so much good dialogue in it. Like, you know, th there's, there's, we've had all sorts of good one-liners throughout like our run of this podcast so far, but like they really knock it out of the park with line after line. Um, you know, it's like even Perceptor when he like announces that, you know, the Decepticons are attacking it, it's like, you know, what was a, a cursory evaluation of our tactical capabilities indicate a serious disadvantage <laughs> or something. <laughs> and, and like Ultramax is just like, which means? Um, but yeah, and like all of Blaster's stuff here is like, you know, when he puts out the message, it's like, cover your receptors, Perceptor, which is just like, that's that's a good line. And even, it shows how much I love this film. Even the noises his control panel makes and the buttons he taps, it's just so satisfying watching him just quickly like tap in like, I don't know, like the, whatever the, the direct phone number to Optimus Prime's mobile is to be like, hey, can you send some help, please? The Transformers equivalent of the Bat Phone from the 60s Batman show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's just like, and, and even from that, it's like, you know, I, I forget the, the exact quote, but it's just like, we're really taking a pounding and it's just like, uh, it's just all, all so good. Now, talking about Blaster, actually, we also get the debut of his cassette tapes, which Ooh. I totally forgot were a thing until I watched it in preparation for this. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, the names are Eject, Rewind, Steeljaw, and Ramhorn or Ramjorn? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, yeah. I've got a weird autocorrect on my screen. I'm pretty sure Ramjorn is not a correct name. No, no. I, 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 think, I'm, I think it might be Ramjorn. I forget. But yeah, like everybody always forgets about Blasters tapes because they're just like less, especially when they get to like, you know, eject and rewind. It's just like, you just made a couple of dudes. Like they're not as cool <laughs> as Rumble and Frenzy. Um, but that whole scene is really cool of like, you know, we then get onto Soundwave's cassettes versus Blasters cassettes. Which and we is get a really Rat nice Bat for the first time. And we get Rat Bat, yeah, who, you know, not even name checked. It's like, ah, oh, you're, you're, you know, burying the lead there. But that's one of those cool, like you get this little sub battle within like the big battle of just like these little tape decks just kind of like the little t cassette tapes just like you know having having a little a, a little rumble 
to uh, to to you know use the obvious joke. <laughs> now another thing that we see during this is when Springer and RC are being tasked with making the base like transform into I guess like defense mode effectively. During this, this is when we come to find out there have been two more fatalities. That being Windcharger and Wheeljack, who are just dead. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. I think RC's trying to, like, help Windcharger's body or something. And I think Springer effectively goes, look, you've got to leave them. Like, they're gone. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I mean, that that was a crazy moment for me tonally. You know, I mean... Uh... I, I think that was probably one of the ones that hit me hardest as a kid was like, oh, not Wheeljack. Like, you know, I, I loved Wheeljack. He was great. And then, you know, doesn't even get a proper kind of, you know, noble death. He's just there, just wrecked. But yeah, just seeing like RC just basically kind of trying to drag the bodies around. And it's just like, this kid's cartoon, man. Like, what what is going on here? Um, so yeah, that that stuff is, is all crazy. And that this, this is also something that kind of confused me a little bit as a kid because I'm I'm 99% sure that I owned Metroplex at this point who was the Autobot City that transformed into a big robot so when they said they were going to transform Autobot cities like bang Metroplex great <laughs> let's do this and then no apparently this is a different Autobot City that doesn't transform into a big chested robot and I was kind of that was one of my few disappointments watching this film as a kid of just like no but but Metroplex like Metroplex would have kicked everybody's ass in this film so where, where why 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 have we got this lesser Autobot city I honestly don't remember because it's been so long since I've seen anything like past the movie either but it in context it almost makes me wonder if this battle is what then creates Metroplex I don't yeah, remember or know for sure off the top of my head. It might well be, because, yeah, like, Metroplex is definitely in, like, season three. Mm. Um, and because then you get the... Uh, I always I always forget the name of, like, the Decepticon equivalent of him. Um, but, yeah, and, like, you know, he, he definitely kind of crops up in, like, the Headmasters series and stuff later on in, on the Japan side. So, mm. yeah, like, I think it was maybe one of those weird ones where the toy came out at just the wrong time. And I, I feel like maybe I owned it or at least knew that I was getting him or had seen it in brochures just before this film. So I was like, oh, I know what's happening here and it's like oh oh i don't that's that's a shame <laughs> there's a wonderful moment in this scene and i promise we will move on people because i'm also adding a lot of my own thoughts in at this point that i just need to say but there's a wonderful moment when i think it's hot rod cup rc and springer are pushing like the rocket launcher into place because they've all now managed to end up in the same room and there's a wonderful it's a little moment but this adds to the whole what i've been talking about before andy about the human emotion in transformers is what i really connect with and daniel He's a freaking little tiny dude. He's trying to help them push this rocket launcher. But just the way it's animated, you can see he's giving it absolutely everything he possibly can. And it's just such a cool moment just still seeing, even in this ridiculous situation, a human is still trying to help. Yeah, yeah. And it's really striking because you can see even, like, the Autobots in the room are struggling to, like, push this thing around so that they can fire off some some rockets. And to see, yeah, like, Daniel join in. And again, I mean, this is much like the discussion we've had around, like, Spike and Sparkplug of, like, human characters that aren't just ciphers for the kid audience to be like, here's the fun kid, don't you wish you were him? Because, like... <laughs> 
Daniel has a bad time in this film. Like, you know, his dad is, like, you know, missing, presumed dead for a big chunk of it. You know, he gets into some pretty risky situations. Like, you know, he's literally in the midst of, you know, these two groups fighting for their life. And, you know, all of this going on. And, like, you know, it's it's really... It it feels so different from your average movie where it's just like, we, look at me, this is is fun. I'm a kid doing fun kid stuff. Um, And that, that works really well. Um, and again, like talking about, you know, use of the word die, as, as I used up front, like Springer's line of like, I've got better things to do tonight than die, which I believe was ad-libbed. Like, I'm pretty oh. sure, I'm pretty sure I saw like an interview or a documentary where they said they basically, I think it was maybe like the animators had, had dropped some lip flaps in there, assuming there'd be dialogue and they hadn't written anything. So like, just make something up on the spot for that bit when we're recording and that was what he came out with and everyone was like yeah you just nailed it and and i i seem to recall like he said he did it at the time being like are you guys gonna want to cut that because like that's you know death and like no no that's that's exactly what we want <laughs> it's a bit grim <laughs> yeah it's, yeah it's exactly what we need here at this point if memory serves this is when prime's like reinforcement shuttle arrives this is when we get to see the Dinobots come into action. Of which, Andy, there's only four of them. I'm confused by this, but there were only four. Yeah, I guess. Literally, throughout the entire film, there's only four. But I'm pretty sure at some point, Swoop just disappears and is replaced by the other one. <laughs> yeah, I. Yeah, God, I'm. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm blanking on on that now. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, cool, Dinobots, and yeah, and, and of course, before that. D- Devastator is important again. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, no, no, which again is one of those weird continuity things because you'd have thought you would have had, have had like Bruticus or something given how he'd been bigged up. But it's like, no, and everyone's like, Devastator. And it's like 20 years later, we've not, we've, we've, we're back. De- Devastator's back on top. He's like the, <laughs> the undertaker of. Trans- of combiner <laughs> robots or something where he just never goes away and just keeps becoming the big thing. So, of course, Prime now arrives, and this is when he infers, like, this is the final battle. The touch kicks in, we get Prime's, I think, one of the best sequences involving Optimus Prime ever, when he's rolling along the ground, he transforms, jumps in the air, and does, like, the best sharp shooting you'll ever see while while someone's in the air, and then ends up getting to Megatron, and then we get the dialogue exchange of Prime saying... One shall live, one shall fall. Megatron responding with, Why throw away your life so recklessly? Prime then responding with, That's a question you should ask yourself, Megatron. And then Megatron just saying, Now I shall crush you with my bare hands. And holy crap, Andy, this fight between these two. This is literally all the build-up of what will the final battle be between these two. This is everything and then some. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this whole sequence is amazing. Like, Optimus Prime's introduction, like, you couldn't hope for a more kind of incredible sort of statement of of intent as he kind of enters the scene. Like, and and again, like, the animation, the attention to detail on the animation, like, where he's, I mean, he's literally running over Decepticons, which is maybe not a very Optimus Prime-esque thing to do. But, like, you see the reflections of those Decepticons, like, in his radiator grill as he goes and, like, smashes into them. And then, yeah, the whole, he just blasts off and kind of, like, 360 no-scopes a few Decepticons and then just lands, fires off a volley of blasts. And it's just, like, you know, it's your perfect, like, 
TikTok clip of why Optimus Prime is awesome. Um, and then, yeah, like, you get into the, the battle with Megatron, which, again... I mean, there's been some pretty, like, hardcore fights between those two in the cartoon, but this is really brutal. It's like, you know, Prime takes some damage to his torso, and then you just see Megatron deliberately targeting it over and over again just to, like, amp up and amplify the damage in that part of his body. And, like, it's really... It's really rough, like, you know, and, and the the whole thing, and, you know, like, Megatron kind of, you know, grappling, it's like, I'll rip out your optics, and all of those kind of moments, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just really, it's really crazy, and it has a really good back and forth to it, where, like, you know, obviously you can only watch this film for the first time once, but you have that, like, who's gonna win here like it back it has this really good back and forth where you're like oh no prime's got this and it's like oh no no he hasn't like oh no okay he's turned it around again this is fine and then then you spy the gun tucked away under a rock and you're like oh oh now i know where it's gonna happen here you see it was interesting because it's been so long since i saw the film i legitimately didn't remember how this battle ended the way it did i obviously knew what the final result was gonna be but there was just that thing of, how does this battle even end? And then when you see the gun, you instantly go, oh, man. Like, damn you, Megatron, feigning that you want to be, like, have mercy on you. Then, of course, the other part I had completely forgotten about, Andy, is Hot Rod. When he comes yeah. in and he gets in the way, just seeing this unfold and then Prime getting shot and whatnot, there's just this moment of, you're trying to introduce the new leader of the Autobots by the end of this film. And the way you're introducing him is by effectively have him be the reason that Optimus Prime is dead. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a really brave narrative decision. And, like, it's really, it's, you know, again, really interesting when you watch this film, you know, beyond the kind of the first time or two, that, that all of the foreshadowing around Hot Rods that you get, um, you know, which is actually, none of it is particularly subtle when you actually look at it. But when you watch it for the first time, you don't really see exactly where it's going with it necessarily. Um, and it, it also made me think, like, you know, one of the interesting things watching it this time around having watched all of season two and like you know um the you know having seen optimus prime's origin as like stoner surfer dude as i call him orion pax like <laughs> you know you kind of there's a really interesting parallel there because hot rod is kind of that character as well where he's like the young upstart know-it-all kids who everyone else is just like, oh, Hot Rod, like, don't, stop, stop being an idiot, like, you know, grow up a bit. Um, and, you know, this is kind of a perfect example of that, where he's just impetuous, and he, he, kind of in a way he's doing the right thing, because he realises that Megatron's trying to pull one over on, on Prime, but, you know, ends up getting in the way inadvertently. And it's, it's, yeah, like, as a kid, it was just like, oh, well, it's all your fault, isn't it? But also, like, it's a really interesting kind of part of his character, um, that the, I, I find really interesting watching it compared to the Orion Pack stuff we saw of just like, okay, there's there's sort of a, a bit of a through line here that, that the series is going for. Hmm. But one thing that doesn't change, Andy, no matter the Transformers episode or, or movie, is we get a traditional Decepticon retreat. Except this one feels a lot more heavy-handed, I'll say, than other ones. Because you get the moment where Megatron's downed as well, and Starscream just kind of walks up to him and just says, I think it... Oh, yeah, this was a quote. How does it feel, mighty Megatron? And just kicks him. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, not 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 even a little nudge with the toe of like, let's see what you're doing, like a proper boot into the stomach, kind of like, ha, um, yeah, which is you know a, a great Starscream moment, and I'm 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 just glad that his foot is okay after earlier in that battle, which <laughs> is shoot uh, it from being caught. My yeah, like my my favorite Starscream moment from this film, where yeah, he's kind of like chasing down. I forget which Autobots it is. And it was then, RC yeah, he, and Springer, I think. It was RC and Springer. That's right. Yeah, and then he kind of realizes as Autobot cities transforming around him he tries to escape that transformation so he doesn't get trapped but his foot gets trapped and he has to sh- basically shoot his own foot to open it up and just says ah my foot <laughs> um which is uh second only to, to my, my my favorite line in, in the film actually there are quite a few favorite lines but is uh, <laughs> where like the, the insecticons are kind of trying to eat through the doors to get inside autobot city as hot rod and cup are kind of trying to make their way back there and cup says uh, the insecticons are in our way and hot rod's like nope they're our way in and they just like hey <laughs> kickback just gets literally crushed his head just gets squashed and they both just like kind of blast through and drive past um which is, is a really cool little little moment um, but yeah, like a, 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 you know, we we used to Megatron being defeated, but Matt, that that's a long fall. Like I feel like I still wince when I see him fall down at like multiple stories of like the wreckage of Autobot City and just come mm. crashing down in a heap. It's like, ooh, ooh, that that looked painful, and and it was as it turned out. And then further reinforced as well after that kick from Starscream when. He Starscream's told everyone, right, let's go, find Astro Train, we're all leaving, I'm just gonna leave Megatron. And then Megatron just says, Don't leave me, Soundwave. And then Soundwave, being the you know, the honourable man at this point in the film that he is, just says, As you command, Megatron, and picks him up, and you get this wonderful, very surreal moment of Megatron's body just being carried by Soundwave and then Rumble following on with his arm cannon which is just funny yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that is uh, really good a really nice little bit of attention to detail of just like oh yeah better better take the gun as well I guess so now Andy we come to arguably one of the most scarring scenes in children's cartoon history Optimus Prime's death he's lying literally on his deathbed he passes the reins of the leadership to Ultra Magnus, giving him the, the matrix of leadership. Though, as Prime is trying to give it to him, he drops it and Hot Rod sort of accidentally touches it and we get like a massive light show moment from that. Now, within all of this, we kind of get the following dialogue mentioned. There's Daniel saying, Prime, you can't die. And then Prime says, do not grieve. Soon I shall be one with the matrix. Ultra Magnus. It is to you, old friend. I shall pass the matrix of leadership as it was passed to me. Magnus then responds with, Prime, I'm just a soldier. I'm not worthy. Prime then responds with, Nor was I. But one day, an Autobot shall rise from our ranks and use the power of the matrix to light our darkest hour. Until that day, till all are one. And after taking out the matrix from his chest and Hot Rod catching it like I mentioned... Prime's vitals fade. Magnus at this point has put the Matrix into his chest as well. And then you get just that most harrowing thing, Andy. Because they really wanted to reinforce in this film that Prime is dead. His vitals fade on the computer. His eyes go dark. His body turns grey. 
And just to rub it in some more, almost like just, you know, twisting a knife in the stomach, you see Prime's head just just tilt to the side. Like, yeah. he's, he's dead. <laughs> he's deader than dead. He's gone. Yeah, yeah, it is really brutal because, yeah, they, they could have left it as just, like, the vital signs fade to nothing. Like, everybody knows what that means. Like, that's kind of... That's, like, the well-worn in-media thing that you focus on, like, you know, the, the ECG, like, the output, and then it flatlines, and, you know, they're gone. And that's that's how you do it in media. You don't then linger on the, the body as it sort of finally fades away but no that's what we do in this kids cartoon um and it is incredible like and it is you know it, it is a very well crafted scene like you know again musically fantastically well done you know right the way through to that moment where um hot rod catches the matrix and you get this sudden like ah oh, moment um which is is really good um and yeah like all, all of that musically is really good and you know as the vital signs fade you get this kind of you know this rising little crescendo that then just drops and it's musically it's so good again really weird little touches that didn't don't need to be there on the animation side like ultra magnus puts the matrix in his chest it's like that's just not quite comfy he just takes it out puts it back in again a bit more a bit more snugly and it's like they spent like probably an extra couple of days like animating those cells just to do that and i'm that's really cool um but yeah like it's it's a really well crafted scene but man do they really hammer home like you said what the intent of that scene is and then of course you get to see daniel crying you know you get to see and by the way <laughs> it's not just you in the cinema here like here's daniel <laughs> crying as well crying how else you. can we reinforce this is an actual thing here's the little kid crying <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's crazy so now, also worth noting that the sequence of events is absur observed, not absurd, sorry. It is kind of absurd, but they are observed by Unicron remotely. And this is this is the next time we see him, Andy. This is how long it's been at this yeah. point since we saw him in the opening scene. Now, the Decepticons are making their escape aboard Astro Train, but all of their weight combined is just too heavy for Astro Train to be able to get them home under his own power. This is when Starscream says the following. Fellow Decepticons, Astro Train has requested that we light our burden. And then Bone Crusher of the Decepticons says, in that case, I say it's survival of the fittest. Starscream says, do I hear a second on that? And I think it's Soundwave and the three Cone Seeker Jets say, I. And then Starscream says, and against. And then you see Shrapnel, Bombshell, Kickback, Thundercracker and Skywarp just kind of go, nay. <laughs> and then Starscream just says, the eyes have it. And then those five Decepticons are just unmercifully just shoved out of the door and are just floating through space. Now, as if that wasn't enough, Starscream is then holding Megatron's body by the door. And he has what I think is still one of the best lines of dialogue and the way it's animated from Starscreen ever. He just said, oh, how it pains me to do this with the most maniacal grin on his face. Yeah, it's this really great smirk of just like, yep, I've I've won. This is this is it. This is my moment. And, and like yeah, again, a really sort of quite pathetic moment from Megatron who's just like I still function and it's like, and it's like wanna bet and boosh <laughs> off you go into space Th this scene it's just 
it, it's, it's that tonal shift in a different way because we've ne we've seen Decepticons fight each other before, but this is on a whole other level, quite frankly. And this is really when it's establishing, oh man, stuff is changing and Star is Starscream actually now the leader? And we get like a whole sort of leadership battle type thing in all of this. But now, with the Decepticons out the way, this is when things take the next interesting turn. Megatron and the other Decepticons are adrift, and they encounter Unicron. Unicron... Well, in fact, you know what, Andy? Because I was so captivated with this scene, I actually wrote down all the dialogue. So I want to recite it, because from for me... This, from a Megatron character standpoint, really shows how far he has fallen. Just not only from, like, the start of Transformers as a whole, but just in this film. From going at the start of this film when he's like, they're going to crush them and kill them all today. And this is where he goes to. And by the way, I can't do Orson Welles' voice, but just imagine <laughs> it's Orson Welles. So you get Unicron saying, welcome, Megatron. Megatron saying, who said that? I am Unicron. Show yourself. I have summoned you here for a purpose. Nobody summons Megatron. At this point, Andy, I'm like, dude, you've got a fucking giant planet there. Like, are you <laughs> kidding me? And then <laughs> Unicron's response, best response here is just, then it pleases me to be the first. <laughs> State your business, says Megatron. This is my command. You are to destroy the Autobot Matrix of Leadership. It is the one thing, the only thing, that can stand in my way. Megatron says, you have nothing to fear. I already crushed Optimus Prime with my bare hands. You exaggerate, says Unicron. Megatron says, the point is, he's dead, and the Matrix died with him. <laughs> then Unicron responds with, no. The point is, you are a fool. The Matrix has been passed on to their new leader, Ultra Magnus. Destroy it for me. Why should I? What's in it for me? <laughs> and then Unicron responds with, Your bargaining posture is highly dubious, but very well. I will provide you with a new body and troops to command. And Megatron, clearly thinking he's got the upper hand here, just goes, And? <laughs> and nothing literally and nothing you belong to me now and then Megatron says I belong to nobody and then Unicron just says perhaps I misjudged you proceed on your way to oblivion and then we get this first time effect of like lots of red going about the screen clearly Unicron having a hold over Megatron of some kind and the last line that Megatron says in the Transformers is, No! 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 I accept your terms! I accept! And then Unicron just responds with, Excellent. <laughs> and so the last line of Megatron in the Transformers, well, effectively Megatron in the Transformers, Andy, is him basically becoming someone else's property. It's like, just from a character development standpoint, after all we have watched to this point, it's mind-blowing to see this happen to him, what we have witnessed. Yeah, yeah, it's... It, and that that whole, like, back and forth, all, all, again, like, cannot 
rate the dialogue and the writing in this film highly enough like compared to you know the 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 cartoon that comes before it because that everything about that is great and i mean again you know that that's dialogue that i can just like recite just like that because all of the lines are so memorable the back and forth of every time megatron tries to get an upper hand of just like hey like i'm megatron just get slapped down immediately like no you're you're an idiot shut up <laughs> this is what you're doing this is how i do feel unicron probably foolish to be like oh by the way uh, you need to destroy the matrix of leadership because it's the only thing that like can stop me like probably just in indoor voice for that keep that bit to yourself <laughs> like just say i just i just don't like it very much the, the color offends me can you just get rid of it it's too bright it's, yeah it's nothing you know it's nothing like dangerous to me i just i just it's just not my thing can you just destroy it because of that not like this is the thing that could destroy me because you know that's that's maybe a bad ploy but yeah it's a really great thing i mean again you know how how much of this was Orson Welles and how much of it was Leonard Nimoy being Orson Welles is is open to debate, um, but like it's really well delivered. And then again, another mind blown as a kid moment when we get to see Megatron's transformation into Galvatron and how that is animated. Um, and this was very much the scene that racked up my parents wallets in terms of toys that I wanted because it's like you get Galvatron it's like oh he looks really cool and then you get Cyclonus like he looks really cool and then you've got like Scourge in the sweeps is like less cool but I still want them <laughs> um, and it's like and I ended up owning all of those toys so this scene in this scene was probably you know responsible of, of, of like getting Hasbro about like 40 to 50 quid of like 1986 money um, just in like 30 seconds so people talk about the effectiveness of this film like I, I can measure this scene in pounds so the weird part about this scene for me, and first of all, I agree, animation-wise, this scene is phenomenal. I love it so much, just from an aesthetic point of view. I remembered that Megatron is you know, reformatted, which is the correct word to use, I think, into Galvatron. I totally did not realise and or forgot that Thundercracker, Shrapnel kick Kickback, Bombshell, and Skywarp are also just reformatted. I just thought they died based on memory. I didn't realise we've effectively still got them in the show. Which is weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the the Cyclonus and kind of Scourge and the Sweeps are, are all, yeah, like, just yeah, rebooted, rebooted Transformers. And again, it's sort of, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the loss of, of, of the leaders, but yeah, like, you know, you think of how much of a staple, like, Thundercracker is in the G1 cartoon... You know, and the Insecticons, you know, get a fair few appearances. Just like, no, all just wiped out. Just no no more. So, now, I wrote this down partly from a continuity perspective from our podcast, Andy. But this is how I think the reformatting occurs in terms of who becomes what. Megatron obviously becomes Galvatron. I think it's Thundercracker that becomes Scourge the Tracker, as Unicron mm -hmm. calls him. Shrapnel and Kickback become Sweepers, the Huntsman, as Unicron notes. Bombshell becomes Cyclonus, the Warrior. And Skywarp becomes part of Cyclonus's Armada, is how I phrase that. Now, I don't know if, it, if Thundercracker and Skywarp are in the right order, because quite frankly, they're not in their colours at that point. They're in reformatting mode. But that was based on me kind of 
pausing the scene, looking at their positions on the screen, and then seeing how they did or didn't change. It was very awkward, Andy, but that's how I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that, 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 probably, that probably makes sense. And then Galvatron's first line, after he has become Galvatron entirely, and this is Leonard Nimoy saying this, which in itself is a trip. I will rip open Ultra Magnus and every other Autobot until the Matrix has been destroyed. <laughs> Hearing Spock say that is a is a trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Leonard Nimoy does does a, a really good puts in a really good shift as as Galvatron in this film, which again is, if I recall, is sort of to the detriment of season three, where shock horror he doesn't come back to you know to be Galvatron back in the the mainstream cartoon because you never quite get that sort of you never quite get that intonation again. So at this point, you'd think that Galvatron's first stop is going to be, you know, okay, head to Ultra Magnus, Unicron's got some kind of hold over me, let's not aggravate that. No. His first stop is to Cybertron to get revenge by killing Starscream and reclaiming leadership of the Decepticons. Just to... I appreciate we're not getting through the story incredibly fast, Andy, but we need to talk about this coronation scene because our, our podcast namesake here requires it, quite frankly. This coronation scene is so wonderfully bittersweet. <laughs> because we yeah. finally get to see Starscream crowned. The the oh I've just got the constructor cons, there you go. They're blowing on the trumpets and they blow on the trumpets too much. And then they're just they're just ruining Starscream's coronation. He's got the crown. Then Galvatron arrives and Starscream's first reaction is Megatron? Is that you? After Galvatron says something to the effect of like, this is a sham. And then that's when he transforms, and he literally turns Starscream into dust. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 again, it's an incredible scene. Yeah, because it's like Starscream, like who interrupts my coronation? And he's like, Coronation Starscream, this is bad comedy. And it's like <laughs> Megatron, and I think he's like, just like yeah, like t- t- you know, t- take a guess, and then yeah, just transforms into his gun mode, which again, like even more me like t- tugging on my mum's like shoulder, just like see, look, he's got a cool cannon mode. Like this is why I need him for Christmas. <laughs> this is the point. Um, this is the point where your mum's going, okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's like now, now I see it. Now I see why you need this this toy. Um, but, but yeah, and again, you know, the, the animation on this where it's just because you know we've had some pretty shocking deaths in this film thus far. You know, quite a few of them. But yeah, Starscream just literally just you know turns grey and then just disintegrates completely. And it's not because you know you can make argument for some of those other Transformers. You you could be trying to argue it in your head. They might still be alright. Maybe they can be revived. They're at least in one piece. Not Starscream. You know, he's literally <laughs> just a pile of ashes. And then, again, really great little scene of just, like, Galvatron just, like, stomping on that crown, which just, like, you know, just sort of buckles under his foot. And then, yeah, it's like, I think it's Rumble's like, what did he say his name was again? And then, of course, it's like, <laughs> all hell Galvatron. Oh, just this... It's so wonderfully bittersweet. And it's like Starscream got his five minutes in the end. I, I mean, not even that, really. He gets about 30 <laughs> seconds. I mean, he probably gets about 10 seconds of being Decepticon leader. You know, he's literally just finished his like little coronation, you know, trumpet fanfare. And then within seconds, he's blasted into, into the ether to become a ghost, as it turns out. So after this scene, almost immediately afterwards, Unicron arrives in Cybertron's vicinity and devours at least two moons. 
both of them being Autobot moon bases, and those moons are just totaled. You get some incredible animation of people trying to escape and failing. We're just seeing more Autobots being eaten, quite frankly. Like, there's just no more. And I'm just thinking, flipping heck, man. Like, how many casualties are there going to be in this? And such. But now, under coercion by Unicron, Galvatron finally heads to Earth to kill Ultra Magnus. So we've just seen these two Autobot moon bases be destroyed. Ultra Magnus and Co. have been notified, but now the Decepticons arrive and we've got another freaking battle on our hands. Yeah, and, and not not only that, like as a kid, we're still reeling from the fact that we've just heard a swear word in Transformers. Yep. <laughs> the, the immortal line of, oh shit, what are we going to do now? Yeah, which, I mean, again, like, that that's a really good bit of, like, classic sort of film scene of, like, you think, like, oh, they've defeated him because, you know, they rig up the moon base with explosives, you see the big explosion, and it's like, yeah, like, you can't survive that, and then it just, like, the smoke clears, and it's just like, there's not even a scratch, and then it's like, yep, yeah, by, by Spike, by Bumblebee, off you go into Unicron's belly, um, but with, the, yeah, the immortal, oh, shit, what are we going to do now, is the line, and it's like, oh. <gasps> I hope my mum didn't hear him say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, in... So, okay, in this scene that we get this battle on Earth before they're able to escape and such, worth noting, because I think it's one of the funniest bits of the entire film, Blur trying to forcibly lead the Dinobots onto the ship is so damn funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a really good... Uh, it, it, it's, it's some peak Dinobot, um, and it's also another really good sort of little blur introductory moment he doesn't really get a lot of time in this film like i, I always forget that you know because in terms of the toys obviously you had ultra magnus as the new leader but then you had like hot rod cup and blur all sort of got equal billing as like buy these toys but it's kind of it's all hot rod and cup like blur doesn't really do a whole lot in this film and this is probably like the most interesting thing that, that he gets to do mm. um but yeah the dinobot stuff is, is all really good there because it's just some peak like obstinate Dinobots. Also, really enjoy Galvatron as, like, annoyed Sunday driver in this scene. <laughs> because he's, like, he's flying around trying to get shots off at, at, at the various Autobots. Whenever they shoot back, he just gives them that, like, fist clenched through the windscreen of, like, you've just damaged my Cyclonus. How dare you? Like, I think one of the screens just explodes as well, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There's some stuff going on there. But, like, there's a couple of times where, like, the, the Cyclonus that he's, he's, he's or, or, you know, his armada, that he's, like, flying in just kind of, you know, gets gets a gets a, a stray blast. And just both times he's just, like, shaking fists through the window. <laughs> just like, what are you doing? I need to, to point out the line from Grimlock. I think when he's been called like a nice dino by Blur and he just says, Me Grimlock, not nice dino. Me bash brains. It's <laughs> a great line. Also, this is a weird question to ask Andy, but I feel it needs to be asked now so I refer to him in, in the right way forevermore. When the Decepticons arrive at Autobot City, Galvatron says, I, Galvatron, will crush you just as Megatron crushed Prime. At this point is, because the way I kind of always thought and imagined it is, it's still Megatron, but he's now just Galvatron. Are they now actually two completely different Transformers, just having been reformatted? Or like, is the consciousness still the same, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I don't... 
is it like they've just swapped an SD card into another thing? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how Transformers work. It's all on SD cards. Um, By two thousand five, maybe. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Um, I I can't remember I, again. Th- this might be a really interesting question to keep in mind as we go through season three because I don't know if it does any stuff with Galvatron. Because again, the comics very much played with the idea of what has happened to Galvatron, or really what has happened to Megatron as part of Galvatron and like basically it comes to the conclusion like Galvatron kind of loses his mind because of the weird stuff that's happened to him because you know he is still Megatron but he's also not and he kind of goes you know he kind of goes off the reservation I don't know whether the, the the cartoon ever really kind of deals with that at all and the sort of the mental anguish of what has become of him um, but the, the comic certainly picked up on that as an idea of like, isn't it weird that you're not really Megatron anymore, but you also kind of are because you have these shared memories and experiences. But like, how does that all work? Um, especially once time travel becomes involved and you get Megatron versus Galvatron. And then it's <laughs> like, wait, if you if you kill yourself, but it's not yourself, does that... It's a whole thing. Read the comics. Um, but yeah, like that's, I, I don't think this ever gets tackled in, in, in the, the cartoon, but I may be wrong. I'll be interested in season three for that. Okay, I'm glad I didn't... I'm glad I made a good observation on that then, in hindsight. <laughs> so the Autobots are able to escape from this from this onslaught they've got. Eventually, Galvatron manages to cause one shuttle to crash on yet another metal planet, which it's written down here, Andy, as Quintessa. I'm not sure if that's actually uh, ever name-checked in the film, but that's what the recap here on the TF Wiki says. Yeah, I mean, it certainly becomes name-checked in season three. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I guess, yeah, because the, the, the Quintessons are sort of, you know, the, the, the natives of the planet. So mm. yeah, I guess Quint- Quintesson, I think, is also the planet, if I recall. Mm. And detonates with a, and detonates the other with a volley of missiles. However, the other the Autobots in that other ship I just mentioned, they actually kind of did like a whole like cool separation moment of like the front of the ship and stuff. So they actually escape unnoticed. But now the Autobots in the crashed shuttle have Hot Rod Cup the Dinobots. They are all separated from each other and are in a hostile environment to say the least. Hot Rod and Cup are captured by a squad of Alicons, who I think look really freaking cool, Andy, and I want one. (laughs) Just saying. And they are taken before a Quintesson judge. Now, just to put this out there, just for continuity's sake for the podcast run more, the Quintesson is not actually name-checked at all. It's just a thing. In the credits, it's called a Quintesson. At the ending credits, it's not actually referred to as a Quintesson, though. Worth noting. While being held there, they learn the name and nature of Unicron from Kranix, apparently is the name of his character, I didn't know, didn't name check it, mm-hmm. uh, a survivor of the planet destroyed in the opening sequence of the film, which he calls Lithoni, or Lithone, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, sorry. Meanwhile, the Dinobots encounter and befriend a young, wild Autobot we come to find out is named Wheelie, who has been living alone on Quintessa. Together, they crash the trial just as Hot Rod and Cup are fighting losing odds against the Quintesson's Sharktacons. The tide is turned and the Autobots commandeer a really odd-looking Quintesson cruiser. <laughs> a pretty cool-looking ship as well. Like I, the, the, the ship designs in this film are really good. Like The ship that um, Unicron gives like Galvatron's pretty mm. nifty. Like They're all way more interesting than the Ark. Like, yeah, there's Quintesson one and, you know... It, that, that that sort of you know carries through to the end of the film 
Um, but yeah, there, there's there's a lot of good stuff in these kind of like various off-planet scenes. I mean, again, I really enjoy the whole like space battle before these crash landings. Um, I, I'm a big fan of any um, film or series where somebody reverses the polarities of something. Um, so, you know, when they reverse the polarity of the Decepticon missiles, I'm, I'm here for that. But you know, um, actually, just to touch on that, because... Cup is like the MVP of this part of the film because him re recounting like war stories and the Dinobots freaking loving it is yeah. like my some of my favorite parts of this film. It's like, please tell Grimlock more stories. Yeah, yeah, it's great because, yeah, like they're trying to literally take off to kind of like escape, you know, the, 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 their incoming death. And Cup's literally like, Grimlock, get your noodle out of my face. Like, he's literally <laughs> trying to, like, you know, start the engines on this, on this cruiser. Um, and the and, reason I mention yeah. that as well is because it's Cup trying to remember how do we get out of that problem in that past yeah. battle? And the whole yeah. war story thing is just such a fun element. Yeah, there's also really good like throwaway comedy lines. Like, I'm trying to remember how we got out of that battle. There were a lot of fatalities that day. <laughs> it's just like, all right, okay. It's like, oh yeah, I remember we reversed polarities. And then on the other ship, you have again, you have some great like perceptor rambling, and you get you get to see Ultra Magnus just like head in his chin, just like tapping his cheek, just like okay. And then and then perceptor is <laughs> like. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, I can fix that. But also the great line of like, uh, I think it's Springer or maybe it's RC who's just like, it's a shame we had to let them detonate three quarters of the ship. I think it's maybe Springer who comes back and like, well, they would have detonated four quarters of it otherwise, um, which is, is, you know, again, Springer has some really good lines in this. But like, but all of that that scene sequence is is really good and and very cool. And then yeah, all the stuff on Quintessum, like that that's a really interesting. Moment moment in terms of how that clearly resonated with a lot of people because Quintesson becomes a really key part of like the cartoon in season three if I remember mm -hmm. and also like the comics you know the Quintessons become you know a big deal the Sharktacons kind of keep coming back because you know they're sharks they're kind of cool um, and so all of that stuff sort of really clearly like stuck in people's heads Wheelie less so like Wheelie is the the Ewoks of this film um, <laughs> in that like nobody nobody asked for this and nobody's really interested that th that was probably their biggest like new toy misstep of like everyone's gonna love this little cheeky robot is gonna be you know just like the the kids are gonna this is like the kid's cypher character and everyone's just like no wheelie's annoying like he can go away i really like um, his banter with grimlock though like it just it I mean, works with those two i think yeah yeah there's some good little sort of like rhyming couplets and stuff um but my my, my favorite part of all of this is when the dinobots like knock down the door to like the quintesson like palace jail call it what you will and uh, i think it's like slag or slug as we call him now is just like un underneath the like the the quintesson sort of like bodyguard that's been crushed by the door just leans down just like excuse me <laughs> <laughs> it's just like fantastic it's wonderful i will say as well like the whole like quintesson judge like concept again this is another really harrowing moment because you hear guilty or innocent you hear the word innocent, and he's dropped yeah. into a pool of Sharktacons. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's just like, the heck? 
Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, that that whole thing. And again, I think that's the part that resonates with people is that a the, the whole five faced robot thing is just like it's a really cool visual. And yeah, just the idea that there's this really warped planet with this, you know, like it, it's basically kind of wild west. Um, and again, like I mean, you probably get like the best hot rod line in the film as well, where it's just like you know they're trying to see if they can transform before they get launched into the the Sharktacon tank, and uh, it's like silence, or you'll be held in contempt of this court and hot rod's just like i have nothing but contempt for this court <laughs> it's a great it's like that's you've been practicing you, you were practicing that one in the in the jail cell before you came out here because <laughs> that's a good one so from there the other group of autobots have landed on the planet junkion to make repairs but are attacked again by galvatron who was tipped off to their survival by unicron during the battle ultra magnus tries to open the matrix to use its power but is unable to do so, and instead is killed. Blown to smithereens. Yeah. Like, it, arguably, Andy, I would say is deader than Prime at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he's sort of like on the Starscream to Prime scale. He's kind of in the middle. Like, he hasn't been completely <laughs> turned to dust like Starscream, but yeah, he's not just like, you know, greyed out. It's And again... It really lingers on that. Like, it's not like he gets shot and he explodes. Like, he gets shot a bunch and he has this long kind of, like, guttural groan of, like, oh, and then just bang. And it's just bits of Ultra Magnus everywhere. And it's, like, on top of everything that's... And, and, and it, this is almost a smart play by the film because we're just... We're ready for death at this point and so you're just like okay that's it magnus is done as well all right that's weird like you were just trying to sell me the toy like in the comic two weeks ago and you've already offed him um i didn't like him anyway so it's fine but you know <laughs> but it's like well this was fast um and yeah like it feels really really in and again it feels that feels like the real darkest mo moments of the film because, you know, not only is Prime gone, it's like, okay, but they've still got the Matrix and, you know, we've had the whole light, our darkest hour thing. So this is, you know, they, they can still turn this around and then the Matrix doesn't open. The person that it, it's been entrusted with has just been destroyed. Every, you know, Galvatron's gone off to Unicron and it's like, what... What, what do you do? Like, there's no way back from this. And I like that's sort of, I remember as a kid, that being the moment of like, given everything that had happened, you're like, is, is there going to be a happy ending to this film? Like, is this film going to end with just like, and then the Transformers were obliterated and it was all over and Unicron ruled the, the universe by, by the Unicron toy because it's literally the only Transformer now. Like, is this, <laughs> is this where this is going? Because that, it feels like it. And, and again, I, I've sort of talked about this before about how like good media can make you believe something that you know probably isn't going to happen because you know you've got to have a, a happy ending or, you know, something of a positive ending at the end of this. But you've, you're brought to this moment where you're just like, there's no way back. Like this is this is done. Like it's finished, and that th those are really good moments in in the film. I want to when we sort of get to the end of the film, I want to come back to a point you mentioned about sort of having been introduced to the comics because I have a question which kind of also helps set my entire perspective of the film. So I'll come back to that. Remind me if I forget. By the way, so Galvatron absconds with the Matrix, taking it away to Unicron. The remaining Autobots at this point, Perceptor, Blur, Springer, RC, and Spike's son, Daniel, are then ambushed by Junkions, aka many Eric Idols. The eponymous natives of Junkion, 
who are giant transforming robots. The battle is cut short, however, by the arrival of Hot Rod's group in their Quintesson ship. After exchanging the universal greeting, which Andy, because you can recite it better than I can, is... Bar weep, grana weep, ninibong. There you go. They make... They're all friends! And the Junkions restore Ultra Magnus to life. <laughs> Just... It's like, oh, he's back, sure. And then together, the whole group then travels to Cybertron to try to recover the Matrix and destroy Unicron. That's a very condensed way of summing up this scene, because a lot happens, quite frankly. Like, Rekgar, the leader of the Junkions, and just the Junkions as a concept, is so weirdly fun and unique. The fact their entire dialogue is based off TV is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those, like... They could not have found anybody better than Eric Heidel to like pull off that character. I mean, again, I can't remember what kind of. I, I think I seem to recall there's there's a pretty good Rekgar in in like the season three that they sort of you know they managed to to do to to keep that going. But like Eric Heidel really knocks it out the park there. Dare to be stupid. Like I knew nothing about Weird Al Yankovic Likewise. before this film, and I, it was just like, oh my god, this 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 song is so great and so fun, and like you know, I I, I know all the lyrics, um, and yeah, it, it's it's a it's a fun little action scene. Daniel gets to brain um, a junkie on round the head with a, a two by four, which is pretty a pretty good ending to that scene, just with a big clunk, um, which is very satisfying, and then there's. This is probably the most rushed bit of the film where you go from that utter darkness of like, oh my god, like everything's gone bad to like weird, like now we're just having a dance with the Junkions. And yeah, <laughs> I agree. Like in a weird way, like my the first thing I thought of was, is this straight out of Star Wars? Because <laughs> I'm sure this happens in there at some point. But yeah, this is, as is kind of par for the course of Transformers at this point, Andy, this is the, this is the part where they kind of realised we need to end this film at the 90 minute mark. But we yeah. also have like a five minute long credit sequence as well to fit in. <laughs> so you can kind of tell from the way this film picks up at this point that they were clearly a bit rushed for time. The other story thing, which I don't know, I honestly don't know if this is touched on in season three because I've only ever seen bits of it and I just don't know. But if, what's the way to put this? If the Junkions can rebuild Ultra Magnus without issue, could they not have rebuilt Optimus Prime? I mean... I appreciate yeah. the hierarchy of Hasbro didn't want that, but inherently in the story... <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's where you can feel the really weird, like, way that they have to, like, work around that with the way that Ultra Magnus gets blown up. Because, again, you, you think what Galvatron did to Starscream, like, you know, they clearly didn't want a half hour of just, like, little tiny jigsaw pieces of Ultra Magnus of, like, putting them back together. <laughs> They're like, no, he's got he's to blow apart cleanly. Um, and, and to be fair, there's something very satisfying about watching the Junkions put Ultra Magnus back together mm. and just polish him up. It's like it's like those videos they put online to sell you on like you know cleaning products, <laughs> and they you know they show you and it's really filthy, and then they do just a thing and they do it all really quick, and then suddenly it's gleaming and shiny, and you can just watch it on a loop over and over again, and it's great. Like that's kind of what watching Ultra Magnus get rebuilt is like, because it's just like oh that's really that feels good i like i like watching him just getting slotted back together and polished up um maybe that's just me i don't know um <laughs> but, but yeah the, that... the way the junkions interact with each other is really cool as well yeah yeah i well yeah and that that's the thing that i really like about that that whole fight scene is like you know because they all transform into bikes mm -hmm. so they interchangeably they're like bike and rider and you knock the rider off the bike and then they'll just swap 
they'll both just do a transform and do it and it's like i mean springer says it it's like you know knocking them down is easy it's keeping them down that's the trick um and and that's kind of it sells it it, it works really well as the whole idea of like you know they're this planet of junk they're kind of just like very sort of versatile and just kind of roll with it um but it kind of it really adds something to that to that scene um but yeah the, the, the junkions are cool and and uh, yeah, like it's it's kind of nice that they they're not just a throwaway. They kind of like join in the final battle as well because you know they continue to be they continue to be valuable um, through to sort of towards the end of the film, which is is kind of kind of nice. Like unlike unlike Wheelie, like what does is Wheelie even still around? Like at the climax of that film, he just kind of disappears. Um, yes, he is because I've got a note about it. <laughs> okay, that's that's. That's good. Also in this scene, Grimlock's reaction to being kissed is quite amusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some more, some more good Grimlock time. Also, important note, because I don't know why, I'm half tempted to try and keep this in mind for season three, Andy. Based on Retgar's dialogue, which I appreciate is just him reciting an advert, Ultra Magnus has a 90-day warranty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not very long, really. I mean, you'd be hoping for a year at least. I mean, especially, you know, having been blown apart so easily, but, uh, but hey, hey. So at this point, Galvatron has now gone back to Unicron and is kind of just trying to boss his way around, I think it's fair to say. Like, haha, I've got the Matrix. You can't do anything now. He tries to open the Matrix to use his power against Unicron and force his master into submission, but is unable to open it. Unicron, not pleased with this attempt at treachery, shocks Galvatron by transforming into a planet... Sorry, transforming from a planet into a planet-sized robot. This transformation sequence, Andy, is immense. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, this was like kid me not realising that I was watching anime and being like, oh my god, like, look at this transformation. And now now I've watched a bunch of anime. It's just like, yep, that's that's how that goes. That's how the <laughs> robots transform in Japan. This happens all the time. But it is really cool. Um, and again, the, the little subtle touches in this film that I like is like... the watching Galvatron try to like pry open the Matrix like you know he tries to open it from the handles the sensible way that doesn't work and you seemed like trying to kind of get underneath it and just like pry it open there's some really good foley work of this like scratchy kind of metal on like diamond kind of feeling of just like can I just prize this open with like brute force which is just really pleasing and then yeah like you know Unicron's transformation is just like this oh my god because that's I mean I know. I guess some of the key visuals for this film did show like Unicron in his his robot mode. I'm trying to remember if I'd seen any of those before I saw the film because I sort of I feel like I remember this being a like oh uh, you kind of know he he's a transformer he's going to transform mm. but I'm not sure I was quite expecting like what you get there um, and again yeah just like this really meticulous kind of transformation sequence that is really kind of cool like the blow by blow of like you know his chest kind of plates rolling back and he's seen all this like energy inside his belly um and then like soon to be galvatron inside his belly as well <laughs> uh, you've just that she'd gone straight to my next thought andy because <laughs> as the tf wiki puts it unicron plucks galvatron off his chest and swallows him <laughs> yeah. very succinct matrix and all and then begins attacking cybertron itself at this point, we see Shockwave for the first time in a hot minute, and he scrambles the Decepticon forces to defend the planet, but they are ineffective against such a large enemy. 
Yeah. And, and, and again, that's such a cool little moment where you just see, like, Unicron just smash his hand down on the planet. And it's, again, just the, the scale of it at that point where you just realise, like, oh, man, this is, like... This guy is huge, and then yeah, poor poor Shockwave only ever gets any like screen time when bad things are happening on Cybertron. But boy, you're not bad wrong things. actually. Now you mention it, <laughs> yeah, like it's it's usually just somebody like finally nobody's broken into his lab in like a decade, but now somebody's just smashing up the entire planet instead. <laughs> Also worth noting at this point, I think as well, we don't actually know Shockwave's fate in this film, do we? No, no, no. We don't. We don't. Uh, we don't. We don't see any more of him once he he scrambles the uh, the Decepticons, or once he's flattened. Take your pick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so shortly after all of this, the Autobots arrive from Junkion, and you know they could try and land on Cybertron. They could probably try and scramble to try and do something. Instead, Andy, they arguably do the really smart thing with the Quintesson ship: fly it straight through Unicron's eye. Yeah, if, if if you've got a drill spaceship, you might as well just drill through something, and why why not? I mean, it's it is effective. Like it's probably the most damage anybody does in like the early salvos of, of that battle. So like, yeah, kudos to them. I mean, doesn't end well for the ship, ultimately, admittedly, but you know, it's it's it's, it's a good ploy. The impact destroys the ship, and the Autobots fall out inside Unicron. Hot Rod, though, is separated from the others, but eventually runs into Galvatron, and we get the fight between the two. Hot Rod manages to get his hands on the Matrix and hears Optimus Prime's voice speak the words, Arise, Rodimus Prime, as the battle is reaching its climax. Hot Rod grows in stature, adopts a much sterner demeanour, and quickly dispatches Galvatron by tossing him through Unicron's hull. He just picks him up and throws him. This dude is strong, Andy. And then Galvatron just goes flying into space. Because I guess we've established at this point, Galvatron probably can't fly. <laughs> because he's been in the ship the whole time. Well, I mean, if you think about it, when he first, like, he's first transformed, when he goes to his ship, he uses his cannon as, like, propulsion. So mm. I would argue that he can fly. Maybe he just doesn't want to. Maybe he's just done with today. Oh, like, Lord Unicron, no! <laughs> yeah, I'll just go wherever space takes me, and I will return for season three with a different voice actor. Regarding that battle, actually, and then I'll finish that thought... I I really, really enjoy this battle between the two because there's another moment of just kind of that, that sort of character development I mentioned with Megatron and obviously now Galvatron at this point. But there's this point where he's trying to talk Hot Rod into being like, look, we've got a common enemy here. We need to take down Unicron. This Matrix can, can do him in. And then Unicron just like mentally overpowers Galvatron and makes him start fighting Rod, uh, Hot Rod, excuse me. And it's just that moment again of, damn man, like how the mighty have fallen. Even in your reformatted form, you still can't do it well, can you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have thought even in that moment, he might have had t- enough time to like toss the Matrix to Hot Rod and be like, maybe you can do something with this. <laughs> um, but you know, I, that would have been a far less interesting uh, final final set piece. Because yeah, like again, it gets it gets to a really good like up close and personal kind of like you know bit of hand-to-hand between them where it's like Galvatron's like first prime then Magnus like it's a pity you Autobots die so easily or I might get a sense of satisfaction or whatever <laughs> whatever the line is um and uh you know and, and Hot Rod's like 
some, some some solid tactics where he just like basically like transforms and just blinds him with his headlights and it's like okay that's that worked i guess <laughs> so at this point hot rod oh, sorry rodimus prime at this point opens the matrix which fills Uni- which fills unicron with light and begins destroying him while all this has been going on the other autobots inside unicron have located some of their comrades from the moon bases who had been presumed dead including Bumblebee and Daniel's father, Spike. I mean, I say the other Autobots have. Daniel finds them, quite frankly, because they got separated like a flood of... Unicron fluid, I guess. I don't know what it's meant to be, but sure. (laughs) We'll just say that. It's a wonderful moment where he sees them effectively being... Like, they're all being like... What's the way to put it? They're like being hung from almost like coat hangers on a conveyor belt, in a way. And they're being dropped into a vat of Unicron goo, I guess, yeah. to, get, to get melted down. Yeah, I, and again, like re- really kind of shocking scene there, where you you get a, like a close up within the vat of acid and see like these dissolving robots just like fading away, and it's like, man, this is really bleak as well. Um, and then yeah, like on, uh, then after seeing that, you're just like, oh man, a bunch of my favorite toys are next on this conveyor belt. Um, <laughs> only Daniel can save them. Oh no. It's a wonderful moment as well when, like... Because Daniel is also... We haven't actually brought this up, Andy, but, like, the whole concept of, like, the exosuit that both Spike and Daniel are wearing, it's a really cool concept for, like, a design. The fact they can, like, transform themselves, it's really, really good fun. Yeah, yeah. And it's... it's Yeah, it actually gets a little bit of use. Like, you know, Daniel gets to transform. I, I have questions about how no limbs are broken in that process, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah, and there's, there's, you know, there's a really nice little kind of training scene where, you know, Daniel figures out how to use that, which is kind of, you know, quite, quite nice. And yeah, like, again, clearly one of those, like, writer's problems that probably occurred at some point is like, we want the humans in space. And it's like, how do we put the humans in space? <laughs> uh, like, you know, and, and uh, yeah, in, in a way that is in any way useful. And yeah, like they they came up with, you know, a pretty cool like design and the whole exosuit thing, which works really well and is used right the way through to this this climactic little bit of the film. Which involves Spike, who's hanging on the conveyor belt, effectively going, Daniel, you got to close the vat. Like, shut the lid. And he's like, how do I do that? Use the, the use the, the rocket blaster gun thing on your thing. I have one of those. Yes, hurry! <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like his impatience is not really helping there. Where he could have just calmly like press that button and it'll like it'll it'll fire the lasers. But instead he's just like do something. And uh, yeah, like you know, after firing off a couple of the wrong things, he he basically lucks out and closes the the cover to the vat just in time. Which again, really well like frame shot because you get to see like Spike dropping. You kind of see like Daniel looking away and just like scrunching his eyes like I'm not gonna look. And you have that. Oh, did did he do it or did he not? And again, knowing this film, would not have been surprised. Like, no, sorry, sorry, son, your dad just dropped in a vat of acid. You failed. But no, Spike is okay, as it turns out. At this point, the Autobots, including Rodimus and Co, because they've all managed to find each other now, escape through Unicron's remaining eye as he begins to fall apart and explode. This is also when it becomes apparent, Andy, that some of the OG G1 Transformers are still alive at this point, which in itself, I'll go through the list in a minute of who has actually made it out alive, but you're like, oh, okay, so not all of you have been written out forever then. Fair play. (laughs) So Unicron explodes. The scene immediately then shifts to the surface of Cybertron, where, 
For unclear reasons, as it's noted on the TF wiki, the Autobots seem to be in charge again. Which is a fair point, actually, now you mention it. Rodimus Prime then comes out to give a speech, which is the following. Let this mark the end of the Cybertronian Wars as we march forward to a new age of peace and happiness. Till all are one. And everyone repeats it and we zoom out at that point. And, and the lineup that we see them panning across on the screen, Andy, of the Autobots that we see, including humans, are as follows. Rodimus Prime, Grimlock, Wheelie, Blur, Daniel and Spike, RC, Bumblebee, Jazz, excellent, Ultra Magnus, Cup, Perceptor, Sludge, Slag, Cliffjumper of all people, and Rekgar. How did Cliffjumper survive this, Andy? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he he was there on that conveyor belt. Yeah, it's like him, Bumblebee, and, and Jazz, like as as the sort of the moon base, you know, spokesman. That's not the word I was looking for, but it'll do. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. But yeah, because like Bumblebee was always. If there's one Transformer that you'd save from G1 continuity for popularity reasons, it would be Bumblebee. If there's two, it would probably be Bumblebee and Jazz. If there were three, Cliffjumper would not be number three. Like, I swear <laughs> there's somebody, Cliffjumper had some dirt on somebody. Or Cliff, Cliffjumper's voice actor had some dirt on the writers, I think. It was like, you better not take me out of this show. Or, uh, you know, those photos will end up somewhere. I want, um, I want a deleted scene of Cliffjumper trying to take on Unicron because he didn't, he didn't think fast enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who who knows? Also, by the way, in in that final scene with with Unicron, we we didn't mention perhaps the greatest thing that happens in this film, which is Grimlock's declaration of "Me, Grimlock, kick butts," and then he actually goes and kicks Unicron's butt, (laughs) which is it's just so brilliant. It's It's so so good. <laughs> and I mean, still, that whole... still only four Dinobots, though. Just saying. Uh, yeah, that 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 is that is weird. Like I feel like I've never actually noticed that, which is doubly strange. Um, but yeah, like that that whole kind of like you know Dinobots kind of laying into Unicron bit is is good. Then Grimlock like me, me Grimlock need new strategy when <laughs> Unicron's just like clutching at his his buttocks of just like oh what's going on there? I don't like this. Um, which and and, and the, the the final thing I'll say about those kind of closing scenes is also. Like, the agony that Unicron is in once the Matrix has been unleashed, like, he rips off his own leg mm-hmm. because it's, like, it's so it's so agonising for him. Like, that's another kind of overlooked dark moment in this film of just, like, he rips off his own limb before he explodes because he's in so much pain. Um, and uh, uh, that, just that really good final line of, like, you know, it's by destiny, and then he just, like, explodes <laughs> um, is, 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 also, is also very good. And that, everyone, is Transformers the movie. So, Andy, the thing I was kind of alluding to earlier, in terms of, like, characters being introduced and such and whatnot. So you mentioned that... Did you say that Ultra Magnus was introduced in the comic before the film came out? Not... The thing was, is that it was less about that than being in, like, the comic continuity, and it's more that there was, especially because, you know, again, for the UK audience, this film came out in December, not in the summer, so the problem that they had was they had to push all the new toys for Christmas sales 
before they'd been before people had seen them in the film, basically. Oh, so man. I knew who Ultra Magnus and Galvatron was, not from the comic itself, but from the incessant adverts that were placed within said comic of just like, <laughs> it's the new leaders, it's Galvatron and Ultra Magnus, aren't they cool? And like look his hot rod and cup and blur and his like scourge and cyclonus. So it was all the advertising that was having to, you know, be around characters that I hadn't seen in the film yet, because obviously you, your Christmas promo sort of ramps up in like November time um so i was sort of aware of these characters because i'd already seen the toys which is probably different to how people in the u.s experienced it where i suspect it was probably the other way around is you'd go to the cinema you'd see these characters and be like oh man i wonder if there'll be toys of those and then probably like september october you'd start seeing the adverts for the toys Mm. it's also interesting that you just said that they really do just push ultra magnus as the new leader Mm. as well that that is literally that was literally the the promo line was it's the new leaders Ultra Magnus and Galvatron, um, and Rodimus Prime kind of came later. I feel like Rodimus Prime never really got much of a push in the UK. Like they pushed the Hot Rod toy a lot. Mm. Um, there's there's a, a, an amazing stock photo around from I think it's like a Toys R Us in Dundee where they had like a life size Hot Rod outfit that a guy wore <laughs> to, like, promote Transformers. Um, like, in Dundee, of all places. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, but, yeah, so... But, yeah, I don't remember Rodimus Prime. I, I guess he probably was, like, kicking around in the UK and there was promotion for him. But Ultra Magnus and Galvatron was their big push. Like, they, they clearly had Ultra Magnus pegged as, like the new Optimus Prime in terms of toy sales, even if he wasn't really represented that way in the film eventually. Hmm. The reason I mention it is because, and I think I alluded to this earlier in the podcast, that for me, I never I never really appreciated the impact this film had on all of the Transformers G1 continuity until now, quite frankly, with us having gone from the start of G1 to where we are now on the podcast lineage and stuff. And, stuff. and I was always under the impression, based on having seen the movie in the past, but never having seen the full series for whatever reason, that the likes of Magnus, Hot Rod, RC and Springer were introduced before the movie. Which is why they just kind of are already there and there's never any proper introductions to them as it were. Or it doesn't feel like there is. I mean, we've hardly mentioned RC to be quite frank, but RC in this film is amazing. Just such yeah. a such a fun character, a really cool character, but yeah, it, it yeah. is just fascinating how, in hindsight now, this film is such a culture shock. The way that it's all gone about, and just how they they've just introduced these brand new characters, and you know, like I said earlier, Hot Rod's effectively the reason that Prime's died. Yet you've made him the new leader ultimately. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of kind of interesting stuff in there because yeah, you'd have thought you'd have more origin stories, and and again, the, the Ultra Magnus stuff is the really the part that really blows my mind because, like I say, given that promotion, you'd have thought that you'd make him up front and center as like a strong you know, almost as good as Optimus Prime. Like, you know, even if you do what you do with Hot Rod, like you want to make Ultra Magnus seem like this amazing strong robot man. But he's really not in this film. Like, he doesn't do a lot, then he gets blown up, then he gets kind of sad about it, and then kind of, you know, everyone else takes over. Um, And and that's kind of, that's his lot. So, yeah, it's kind of weird. And again, I mean, I think Springer is a weird one, because I'm pretty sure he was available pre-movie, because he was a triple changer. Like, he came out around about the same time as, like, you know, Blitzwing and Astro Train. Hmm. Um, And they sort of, you know, 
I could I could be misremembering that, but you know he was definitely he's he is a triple changer because we um, saw him he, be a helicopter, didn't we? What's his other? Yeah, thing, he's then? he's a helicopter and a kind of like he's basically it's a car, but it's a kind <laughs> of like I I think it's I I forget what the, the 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 specific kind of like ability it is, but I think he's supposed to be like a sort of almost dune buggy but not kind of thing but yeah like he's a he's a triple changer as well um which yeah again you know you think you don't really get much he doesn't get sold that much in in that in that film and yeah like you know again blur as i said doesn't get a whole lot you know he gets a few lines and gets to buzz about a bit but they don't you know for a pretty cool looking robot toy like they don't actually sell you on him particularly hmm interesting but in terms of watching this film for the first time in a long time, like I've said, and the fact it was in 4K HDR as well for me, this was such an experience, Andy. Seeing the film in this immaculate amount of detail, it was just a, quite frankly, it was just a mind-blowing experience. I could try and make so many superlatives about it, but I had such an amazing time watching this. And I actually do think us having done the podcast to where we've got to so far, where we've watched series one and all of series two and we've kind of read so many trivia bits as we've gone along as we started introducing that as a thing to discuss as well it's just all added up and built to this almost perfectly and it's just it was such a fun harrowing confusing all emotion all just an awe income all inspiring or encompassing experience quite frankly yeah, and it's it's certainly been interesting for me, kind of yeah, watching it off the back of of the cartoon, like I like I said, because it's always you know as a kid, it was very much you know I saw all of season one, bits and bobs of season two, and so the film was kind of almost sat alone as its own entity for me, always in my head. So watching it and kind of having a bit more connective tissue is kind of is kind of interesting in a, a lot of ways. But yeah, like having endured quite a few years of sort of like ropey transfers of this on dvd and what have you like the place that it's at now where like even in terms of like its audio quality because you know i'm i'm that guy with a 5-1 surround system like the audio mastering is really spot on for this uh, this edition as well and you know it's probably i mean it's, it's it's undoubtedly probably better than what i actually watched as a cinema at the cinema in a, as a kid but it sort of feels like you know it's reliving that experience of you know now we have big tvs at home and stuff and you know the, the fidelity of it you really get the the scale of it and it is it is crazy when you look at it compared to your average episode of the cartoon like you know even like the girly love power glide which i've sort of name checked as like best looking episode of transformers it's a really good looking episode but it still doesn't hold a candle to this because it's just you know it's so off the chain and I, i'm so i'm so so glad it exists because i think i would still have loved transformers just as much without it but this is such a centerpiece and a focal point of that love that i can you know as you've noticed i've just been sat here like rolling off quotes off the top of my head for the last <laughs> two hours because i have seen this film enough times that you know i i remember every line and every beat and it's you know it's weird because I never I never get bored of watching this film. There's something about it that just always... It always hits the spot. Like, you know, there are things that you can love and eventually you're just like, I've seen this so many times now. It's just... 
it just rolls off of me. But I never, I never sit and put this film on and just have it in the background. Like when I watch it, I always, I watch it, and you know, I always like marvel at the animation. I always love the dialogue, all the little things about it. Every single time, they always just hit, and it's just like, yeah, this is, you know, I, I, I realize that this is not like the greatest film ever made. But maybe it's like the second best. No, I mean it's you know. It, but it is it's, it's a very good film for me for like a kids' cartoon. And again, it's been the nice thing about the recent like thirtieth and thirty fifth anniversary releases to see people going from oh it's a dumb movie to sell toys to like sure it was a movie to sell toys, but actually it does a lot of pretty cool stuff um, that w- was really brave for its time. Mm. Um, and you know you could argue back and forth how effective it was as a marketing tool etc etc you know whether it actually killed like the Transformers toy line long term or or whatever but as a film as a piece of of media that I want to watch I think it's great well it's funny you mention it Andy because you might you could also say that like Weird Al Yankovic's song being called Dare to be Stupid is almost an encapsulation of this film in some ways <laughs> so I think that is almost a perfect segue to discuss what happened after this movie was released so the film had a budget of 6 million US dollars which for a random reference Andy I found a note that said this is six times more than the equivalent cost of 90 minutes of the TV series. Yeah, that, that would scan. It didn't make its budget back. <laughs> no. And, and, that's, and I, I think that's where movies like this get particularly hard to evaluate because, you know, th- th- this is, that m- money is not just about box office, it's also about marketing spend effectively mm-hmm. on the toys. And, you know, how, how do you evaluate that? Because, you know... I, again, I, I can tell you like where my fifty quid went off of the back of this on toys, <laughs> like you know how how much impact did it have? But yeah, certainly it was. I mean, interestingly, like if you look at it as well, nineteen eighty six was a really bad year to try and break into the box office because mm-hmm. there were a lot of massive films came out that year, so it was a very crowded market. Definitely worth noting as well that it made one point eight million dollars in its opening weekend in August in the US, I should say, uh, in 1986. And in total, managed to to scrape together just shy of $6 million. So it wasn't far off of its budget, ultimately. But obviously, you know, you kind of want to make the budget back quickly, to say the least, so you can then make profit, as it were. Yeah, yeah. And and, and of course, given that this is, you know, the, the, the Hollywood film system, there's probably some creative accounting there where people probably made more money than they'll actually let on. But mm. that's, that's every film... That said, in the US, when the film was released in 1987 on home video, minus Spike saying the word shit to make it known, (laughs) uh, because the video was rated as all ages, it was a top 25 chart performer in sales for 40-40 consecutive weeks. The film itself was rated PG, which in the US apparently, Andy, and I found this an interesting note, was done intentionally because apparently... PG screenings, PG, sorry, films that have a PG rating as opposed to what we have in the UK of you or whatever all ages is in America, apparently PG rated films get more screenings at US cinemas than all all ages do. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised. It's it's the the typical thing of like it's the certificate becomes a weird like marketing sales point of just like, hey, this is going to be a little bit edgy. Maybe there's a swear word in it. Um, you know, actually, actually has a positive effect on on the people watching it. We've touched on Orson Welles a couple of times during this. He actually passed away about a month or so, or within the month or so, I should say, after he had completed work on the film. And there is a famous quote which he told his biographer, Barbara Leeming, about him having done the film. Quote, You know what I did today? I played the voice of a toy. I play a planet. I menace somebody called something or other, then I'm destroyed. My plan to destroy whoever it is is thwarted, and I tear myself apart on on the screen. End quote. Yeah, that's a very Orson Welles way of describing Transformers the movie. <laughs> now, obviously, we've talked about what we thought of this, Andy. I think it is worth noting what critics thought of this film. So, here is some of the reception that we got, or I, sh- I should say that the film got, when it came to the film. And these quotes are courtesy from the TF Wiki, I will mention once again. From Variety's film review, quote-unquote, The Transformers, in which Orson Welles plays a planet, is pure headache material. Target audience of cartoon watchers will also probably find the film unintelligible, noisy, and unoriginal. Box office prospects are dismal, end quote. From Leonard Moulton, I think it's pronounced, pardon me, from... Uh, from 1987 movie and video guide quote unquote obnoxious animated feature about the title good guys who defend the universe against an evil planet which has a voice of its own provided by orson wells that that deafening rock score certainly doesn't help little more than a feature-length toy commercial end quote i'll read this quote and i think we're gonna notice a pattern here andy from the new york times while all this action may captivate young children, the animation is not spectacular enough to dazzle a- adults. And the Transformers have few truly human elements to lure parents along, even when their voices are supplied by well-known actors. End quote. I mean, that last quote in itself, I disagree with the animation stuff, but that's a debate potentially for another day. But just those three quotes in itself... It really does put across who watched the film from those publications, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the typical thing of, you know, any sort of franchise film, you know, even to this day, you know, you can find reviews of, of franchise kind of, you know, cartoons, you know, like a, a Demon Slayer or a Dragon Ball Z or whatever, where critics will instantly be dismissive of it because of that very nature and because like, well, this is just a marketing thing or whatever. Um, and yeah, so some things haven't changed very much as it turns out. And, and you can kind of get it. Like, I mean, if, if this was your first introduction to Transformers, it would be a kind of noisy mess. Because if you don't know who Optimus Prime is, who cares that he's gone a bit grey and, you know, he's died. Um, so yeah, I, I get it. Like, it's, it's the typical thing with, with, you know, critics where, of course, they haven't, you know, watched all of the episodes of Transformers or G.I. Joe or whatever. And it's, you know, it's never going to do well well in reviews and yeah even the animation kind of point again probably comparing to like disney stuff which is spectacular in a very different way and you know you'd maybe look and compare that to the transformers movie like it's a different kind of craft in in a lot of ways so yeah yeah not not surprising to to be to be honest 
Well, let me read you this quote, Andy, from the Toledo Blade. Quote, everything is... <laughs> I can't even say this without laughing. Quote, unquote, everything is poorly drawn and, when it's in focus, one-dimensional. It is terribly hard to separate the robots from the backgrounds, and there is no easy way to tell the good guys from the bad guys. In an earlier movie based on the same sort of robot toys, GoBots, the Battle of the Rock Lords, <laughs> the good guys were either white or colourful, and the bad guys were dreary, and they had a and they had distinct personalities. Not this movie. Everyone looks and sounds alike, except one pink robot who is a female good guy. Her tin voluptuous her tin voluptuousness makes her stand out. End quote. I mean, if if only they'd put insignias on all the robots so that you could tell them <laughs> apart. Hey, uh, I mean, it sounds like it sounds like that guy went to a cinema with really bad projection, right? Like, oh, it's all really blurry, and I couldn't see what was happening. It's like, well, I think you need to talk to the projectionist at your local cinema. Also, to compare something negatively to GoBot's Battle of the Rock Lords is perhaps the most obscene and offensive thing I've ever heard said against this film. Because I have watched GoBot's Battle of the Rock Lords, and I can tell you that is a terrible movie. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, the, the the titular Rock Lords are literally just transforming rocks. Like you could not think of a more boring. Anyway, yeah, GoBot's not not very good. So, other notes to, to, to just make note of, quite frankly. Damage control. Now, it, obviously, there were a lot of upset children at this film. There's been reports of people having walked out. I think in one of the retrospective documentaries, Andy, it was mentioned that, like, a kid locked himself in his bathroom at home for two weeks because he was so upset about Optimus Prime's death and such. But over time, it has become quite the revered film. An additional interesting note is that the UK home video release would add a note at the end of the film saying Prime would return. Which brings me on to some interesting, um, I'll say differences, in terms of the sequencing of the UK version of the release. on. I, I, maybe this is actually in the cinema as well. You could probably tell me, Andy, or you might remember. Because there's additional VO added to the film on the UK release. Definitely on the home video, but do you recall if there was, like, an introductory sequence almost at the start of the film when you saw it in the cinema? Or did it say at the end, Prime would return? I think it did. There's definitely... There's there's a Star Wars text crawl at yeah, the start. Okay. Um, which yeah. is, yeah, like, I mean, as if this film wasn't, like, Star Wars enough already, they decided to add a text crawl kind of explaining it. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure, again, I mean, very fuzzy memories but i'm pretty sure the whole optimus prime will return was in the cinema version in the uk but i could be misremembering so because it's interesting uh, the reason i wanted to bring this up is because the, the transformers reconstructed movie dvd which i've actually got to my to the side here which fun note andy as i pull this up to my side um i bought this from mvc <laughs> once again according to the date of the receipt i bought this on the 20th of october 2005 oh Oh, well, the, the, the year 2005, perfect. Right? I just thought, you know what? That's a fun little anecdote there. <laughs> also, apparently it cost me 14 and my new point balance at this point was £48.79. Just saying. Yeah, you, should, you, you should probably cash those in before NBC goes out of business. <laughs> ah! <laughs> so, the crawl at the beginning of the film, which is kind of an introduction, if you will, to perhaps people who don't know Transformers, is the following... And also noted as well, it's the same deep voice guy sort of doing the voiceover, so nice bit of continuity there. 
there's an evil new force in the universe. A monster planet that devours everything in its path. And it's heading for the small planet of Cybertron, where a unique race of transforming robots continue to fight in a civil war. A war between good and evil that raged for millions of years. The evil Decepticon Transformers, led by the maniacal Megatron, have sworn to crush their enemies, the Autobots. To this end, they have relentlessly pursued them across the galaxy, from planet Cybertron to planet Earth and back again. But the heroic Autobot Transformers and their courageous leader Optimus Prime are not easily defeated. And then it says the year is 2005 and continues. Yeah, yeah, because that, that's over. Like, I mean, I mean the, the thing that makes that work is obviously that is over like the Lion Transformers theme. And to be fair, you can read a shopping list over the Lion Transformers theme and it'll sound <laughs> really good and cool. Um, so, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm always here for any sentence that involves the phrase maniacal Megatron because mm-hmm. I will never get tired of hearing those words together. And at the end of the film, after we get Rodimus's speech and the sort of the camera is panning back just before we see Unicron's head zooming across like the orbit of Cybertron, the voiceover, this following voiceover, excuse me, appears. The battle is over, but the galaxy-spanning adventures of the Transformers will continue, and the greatest Autobot of them all, Optimus Prime, will return. And and he does so you know they didn't they didn't lie <laughs> I I feel I feel like they should have gone all in on that and be like yeah Optimus Prime will return so so stop crying kid you don't you don't want your mum to see you crying when the lights go up so come on man up you gotta <laughs> you gotta you gotta dry those eyes quick you've got like you've got like two minutes for the end credits and then you you're gonna have to pretend you weren't crying so you know get get on it. <laughs> so another interesting note as well about the film in general is. Now, Andy, this is going to be a weird thing to ask you. Do you remember if when you saw the film, it was in widescreen or 4.3? Oh, this is, yeah, this is the classic that, yeah, will never go away in terms of whether it was widescreen or not. I, I cannot remember. I, I was not an expert on cinema format ratios when I was six years old. Yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure it was widescreen because films were in widescreen in 1986. Exactly. So I, I've never, I, I realise people have very good sources that it was four by three but i remembered it being wide Mm. yeah because for those unaware basically the long-standing law behind this if you will is that the film was originally animated in 4.3 i.e the regular size of a tv for example but to make it suitable for cinema screening they effectively zoom cropped it so it would appear as widescreen thus losing some of the picture at the top and bottom of the screen but in later releases on home video this has kind of been rectified quote-unquote so you get both versions like on the 4k release that i mentioned earlier it's um the 4k disc it's the widescreen version and then on the regular blu-ray it's the full frame version having watched both versions andy in preparation for this podcast i'm gonna be honest i think i prefer it in widescreen because it just it feels more grandiose to me it's the only way i can sum it up yeah, yeah, I'd be, I, I really should look up, you know, especially now those versions are sort of readily available to see, like, because I'm sure people will have done like shot by shot comparisons of what you're losing mm. if, if, if it is has indeed been zoom cropped. And, and to be fair, I mean, when you look at some of those shots that maybe don't haven't upscaled to four or been, you know, recaptured in 4K as well, 
maybe some of that is down to that where they've had to like zoom in on the footage but yeah i mean it's really it's really hard to argue to anybody in 2022 to say no you should watch this in four by three um and i i think yeah like i i've always gone towards the widescreen version um and i i think i have like watched the pan and scan at some point and not really seen a massive difference to it but yeah i should look it up see whether there's some some good like frame by frame comparisons to show you know what what you're losing if that is indeed the case mm. and now before we start to wrap up the podcast some additional notes about the film from the tf wiki According to Buzz Dixon, who was a writer on G.I. Joe, Hasbro's decision to kill off Optimus Prime was actually an attempt to maintain some brand storytelling parity with G.I. Joe, as Dixon had just convinced them to allow the death of Duke in G.I. Joe the movie, uh, movie, excuse me, as both films were in production at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I that that's one of those weird. I can I can never quite remember what the timeline was because yeah, like GI Joe basically did exactly the same thing, um, but it just didn't didn't hit quite as hard with people as Optimus Prime did. It seemed. <laughs> this film was the last professional performance by Orson Welles, who died only a month later. According to production materials shown at Botcon two thousand by Tim Finn. The voice recording sessions for The Transformers the Movie were done on September 10 and 11 of 1985. Wells died on October the 10th of that same year. It's often been speculated that Unicron's last line, quote-unquote, destiny, you cannot destroy my destiny, was recorded by another actor, possibly Leonard Nimoy, because it sounds different than the other lines. The speculation has, has been quashed by statements by Transformers voice director Wally Burr. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that seemed to be the thing that you know finally got put to bed because yeah, I remember that being an enduring kind of back and forth on whether Leonard Nimoy had recorded that line and perhaps even more of of Orson Welles's line, but that does seem to have been shot down now. With the exception of Starscream and possibly Shockwave, only the Autobots suffered fatalities in the movie. All of the other dead, quote-unquote, Decepticons from the Autobot City battle were rebuilt into Galvatron's new troops. And although more Decepticons were shown taking heavy damage and suffering huge casualties while fighting Unicron, their identities and their final condition are uncertain. Uh, now, slight spoilers for Season 3 here, potentially. Just saying that, folks, if anyone wants to stay spoiler-free. But additionally, both Starscream and Unicron... Unicron survived in the post-movie series in some form or another. Shockwave's death in the finished film is highly uncertain, although in the script it is fairly strongly implied. He does make some miscolored appearances in crowd shots in the late, in later cartoon episodes, but these are probably examples of the, of the fairly common animation errors in those episodes. Hmm. Oh, poor, poor Shockwave, what a, what a way to go. <laughs> uh, somewhat ironically, and we talked about this earlier, Andy... Though only three of the original 18 Autobots, Jazz, Cliffjumper, and Bumblebee, are definitively shown to have survived in the movie, two would quite literally never be heard from again. Scatman Crothers passed away, though this doesn't stop Jazz from making any number of background cameos, and Casey Kasim quit the show early in the third season. Which I'm guessing we'll get onto that when we get to that, Andy, but is that the yes. event that you've been alluding to in past podcasts? That is indeed. Okay. The Dinobots spend the majority of the film in their dinosaur modes, a practice that would eventually carry into season three of the cartoon. 
Swooper's the only one to spend extended minutes of time in robot mode due to the anatomical issues of walking in, in a flight-based mode. Fair. <laughs> However, there are some instances where they are briefly shown in robot mode for a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment for no reason whatever. <laughs> uh, whatsoever, excuse me. Um, here's a fun one. Unicron's roars in the movie were stock vocalizations originally created for Marvel Productions 1982 The Incredible Hulk animated series and performed by voice actor Bob Holt, who voiced the Hulk in that show. You know, as soon as you started that sentence and you said Marvel, I was like, I bet that was The Incredible Hulk before. <laughs> uh, because, yeah, like it, it seemed, it, you can't unhear it once you think about that. And it, it, is a, it is a weird moment because, yeah, that, that roar is clearly like it's not part of... It's not Orson Welles doing it, that's for sure. And uh, so, yeah, that, that makes sense. That Of course, it's The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Another interesting note on that, though. Holt otherwise never voiced a character in the Marvel Sunbow Transformers series, although he was a regular cast member on Challenge of the Go-Bots, funnily enough, uh, as Coptor but had also passed away the year before the film was released in 1986. So Unicron has the distinction of featuring two posthumous performances for the same Transformers character in a single production. Huh, that's a, a, weird, a weird factoid. So Andy, final note then. You mentioned earlier that when this was shown on TV, it was broken up into like episode chunks. Seemingly this was broken up into five parts, but designated as days if you will. So it's like a five-day story. Okay. <laughs> now we know the time frame over which this all took place. There you go, so, right? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's interesting because, I mean, given the runtime, yeah, I guess I guess five episodes just about... Yeah. I, I mean, I if guess it's, what, 20... If it's minus commercials, if it's, what, I guess 18 minutes of footage? Yeah, I guess it's once... Yeah, once you factor in commercials, yeah, splitting it into mm. five makes, makes sense. Mm. So there we go, and that wraps up andy transformers the movie this is a hundred percent our longest podcast we've done to date but man has it been good fun yeah and i mean if you, you guys have listened or watched through this be thankful that that we're not 24 hours in because i could talk about <laughs> this film forever literally forever i could you know i could i could sit here and just like pause it on every scene and tell you what i liked about it and how good the dialogue was and blah 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 so uh, it's been it's been a, a pleasure it's always a pleasure to rewatch the film but it's a pleasure to actually have an excuse to talk about it and banter about it and mention all the things that are really great about it um into the bargain so it has been a good time but of course now that we've watched that andy that there's only one place to go from here and that is go season of oh, oh. oh, oh god can you imagine <laughs> yeah now we're gonna start watching challenge of the gobots <laughs> and that everyone will be on our next podcast when we will be discussing season three episodes one to five that being the five-part storyline the Five Faces of Darkness. Now, admittedly, Andy, we haven't actually talked about this, but I think we were contemplating trying to actually go with the proper broadcast order for this season, weren't we? Um, In the sense of like actually looking at the dates of when episodes aired, or were we going to stick to Hasbro Pulse's ordering? I mean, we should probably just stick with Hasbro's ordering and hope that it's a little bit more sensible for season three. Um, just, just so that, you know, it's easier for folks to follow, I guess. Um, I, I seem to recall that it's maybe a bit more 
logical uh, than season two was, but uh, but but we will see. I'm I'm excited to get into season three because I've watched I've watched very little of it. Um, mm. like even compared to season two, I think I've seen Five Faces of Darkness, and there are maybe like a couple of other stories, a couple of other episodes that I've seen, but the vast majority of it kind of you know passed me over, and it's it's a big change for the cartoon obviously like post movie you know we've moved into the 2005 continuity it's a completely different animation studio it's no longer toei so um there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of change afoot and i'm i'm sort of keen to get into it good good bad and so bad cast members quit <laughs> to see <laughs> what it's all about yeah do you know what we hadn't actually touched on that 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 the movie was toei's swan song and do you know what mate if that was their swan song on original g1 transformers holy crap what a swan song yeah yeah i mean i i get I, i'm i'm not too sure like what the the story is because i think they stopped doing like gi joe around the same time and like that kind of moved over to, to dick if i if i recall um and so I'm, I'm never sure what side that came from whether that was toei pulling away from these sort of collaborations with you know u.s creatives or whether it was the the rug got pulled out from under them but uh, but yeah we're, we're in for some new studio so a whole new raft of animation errors for us to point out in season <laughs> three no doubt yeah it's gonna be quite just visually it's gonna be a it's probably a ma- even more of a tonal shift than the movie arguably because at least everything looked the si- sort of similar mm. yeah yeah for, for, for sure but yeah we got we got a new theme song incoming and everything i, I like i like the season three theme oh yeah it's a different opening isn't there i forgot about that Sure, sure, sure is. We'll be talking about that for about t- 10 minutes on the next podcast as well, I guess. <laughs> Folks, thank you very much for listening and or watching this podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, first of all, thank you very much for listening. And if you feel so inclined, why not tell a friend about the show? And also, if you want to, you can leave us a rating on your platform of choice as well. If you'd like to find us on Instagram and Twitter, we are at StarscreamsPod. If you'd like to drop us an email, if we've said something wrong and you want to correct us, you can do so. That being on the email address starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. And we've sort of alluded to it, so we'll quickly mention it now. All the episodes of the series of Transformers that we watch are done on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's a 100% legitimate way to watch the Transformers episodes. That's how we watched season one and two, and that also dictated the ordering of the episodes that we watched as well. And as you just heard us mention, we're going to be sticking with that formula when it comes to season three, and season four, you know, all three episodes of it, <laughs> uh, when we get to that point as well. So if you want to come along for the ride on season three, or if you want to catch up and watch along with us, you can do all of that on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. Andy, before we wrap up for today, any additional closing thoughts? No, I I've, I think I've, I've exhausted everything there is to say about Transformers the movie. I, I've really not, but trust, <laughs> trust, trust trust me, you don't want to get me started again. Um, but no, it's it's been it's been a good time, and now I can you know go for another couple of months until I watch this film again. <laughs> yeah, imagine you know what you should do. You should watch it after we get through season three and four, and then see what you think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that'll be the ploy. There's, there's always time in my life for watching Transformers the movie again. That's for sure. And I, I honestly, I will probably be just going and putting the soundtrack on after this podcast because I'm, I'm jonesing to listen to that again. Yeah, it, it, I, I need to listen to Dare. It's probably the first thing I'm going to do when I hit the stop button on this record. <laughs> but, uh, but no additional th- thoughts from me other than it has been a marvelous ride up to this point, and I'm genuinely fascinated to see how th- season three turns out, given everything we've just discussed and different studio, which I forgot was a thing as well 
it's going to be a very interesting... If anything, this is probably going to be one of the more interesting parts of the journey now, even though we just did the most interesting part. Mm, yeah, in, indeed. And we're, we're we're moving ever closer to our titular episode, to Starscream's Ghost. So, you know, that, right. that's exciting as oh, well. I mean, I, yeah, we are getting close to that. And also, folks, I'll say now, this is very... This has more than likely been our longest podcast. Chances are next week might be a fairly long one as well, because that's a five-episode one that we're doing. Yeah, yeah, we're just scrambling all the all the big ones in together. But after that point, we'll probably be back to like a, a three and four episode cadence. I think we'll probably be mostly three from that point forward, if I recall. But we'll, there's we'll... thirty episodes in season three. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. So we'll 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 do the maths so that you don't have to. But there um, you go. yeah, we'll 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 be we'll be figuring that out in due course. Uh, amazing folks thank you very much for checking out this podcast we hope you enjoyed it from myself jeremy graves from him mr andy hanley we have been starscream's ghost quite literally now at this point forward (laughs) a transformers podcast until next time take care and speak to you soon bye everyone